Why would we move out to the middle of the desert for two to three hours? Why? How about because this is the most important fucking podcast to ever happen in the history of the world? Great job. Thank you. Wow. Great job. Did I, Although, did I blow up the levels there, Ben? A little bit. Okay. But <laughs> that was a great job, mm-hmm. but no one does grumpy no. sort of bureaucrat spittle like yeah. Mr. Matt Damon. I, I was talking to Inimitable. someone. Inimitable. I was talking to someone who had seen the trailer and hadn't seen the movie yet and said, like, there's that moment that Damon has in the trailer that feels almost a little silly and a little goofy and over the top. And I watched the trailer and just feels like, is he yelling every single line right. in this movie? And my my answer was, he's basically playing Superintendent Chalmers. <laughs> right? <laughs> Like, sure. it's not that he's, like, failing at seriousness. It's a, it, it is kind of ostensibly a comedic performance of him being the befuddled, constantly at the brink of blow-up well, Superintendent Chalmers to Oppenheimer's Skinner. I hear what you're saying. Well, not Skinner, though. Well, Oppenheimer's not really Skinner, <laughs> right? Because Skinner's such a, got such a stick up his ass. But he's, he's the, the Chalmers, too. Just one of my favorite look, Chalmers he's, jokes. He's Professor Frank. Oppenheimer's Professor Frank and Chalmers. I just, I feel I have bl- blood on my hands. Blaven. <laughs> um, uh, um My favorite Superintendent Chalmers joke is when he says, it's the exact same joke. What gives? <laughs> like when the, the guy does gets a laugh out of the kid. Um, just nothing is funnier for me than there's the sort of catch breath on... Uh, Aurora Borealis. Well, obviously. But just the moment where he can't even. Uh, sort of a scientific moment. That's what I'm saying. The whole movie is sort of that scene. The, the I, whole Damon Look, not to it. jump. We haven't even introduced ourselves. but Sure. Except for my favorite. One of my favorite moments in the whole movie mm-hmm. is Damon, is, is Groves testifying. And you can tell he doesn't want to say, I wouldn't have approved. I wouldn't approve this guy now. Yeah. But I wouldn't he approve says any it. of those guys. Well, no, no, he says it, but then he t- he's like, but I wouldn't approve. You know, he he tags right. on, and you can feel like him trying to like, you know, break outside of the protocol by being like, you know, what the fuck is, you know, come on, guys. And he has one of the best answers of it's anyone in delivery. the hearings where Macon Blair asked him the question, I forget what it is, and he said no. The question if, is like, can you believe I, I'm a Sundance winner? Yeah. I, I directed a great movie at Sundance. I like starred in a great Sundance movie. I directed a great Sundance movie. <laughs> Sorry, what, go ahead. What, what, what? And he goes, no, and if I ever for even a moment let anyone in this room to believe otherwise, I apologize. There's right. something where he basically says, like, I'm sorry if I created a false expectation or a false understanding. Um, um, so- Macon Blair, who plays the guy representing Oppenheimer in the movie, Ben, mm-hmm. uh, is b- both a writer. The nice lawyer man, you know, and, with the and glasses. a filmmaker yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in his own right. Uh, do you know what his new, uh, his next project is as a filmmaker, Ben? No. The Toxic Avenger. Oh, that's true. Oh, baby. Wow. That's yeah. sick. Starring Peter Dinklage, right? And yes. And Jason uh, uh, Jacob, Jacob Tremblay. Tremblay. Yeah. Is um, anyone friends with him? Anyone know him? That, I, I know like we could, 40 million we could people who him. are his friend. Like he yes. is not many degrees removed from us. Yes. If I, we if I, we ever do Toxic Avenger on Patreon, no, I think no, no. He's, I'm a, saying, he's a bookable guest. I'm saying spray my ass with some sludge. Get me on set. <laughs> oh, well, you're saying done. go the other way. Well. Come on, reshoots? Reshoots. Patreon goal? Ben saying sludge him <laughs> up. Um, today, we're not talking about Toxie. We're talking about one of the original Toxic Avengers, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, J. Rob? Oppie? Just ha- has to be... No, J. Rob. From now on. J. Rob Oppie. Um, a, no, a no bits episode. 
Um, very the, serious. Very, right? It has has to be. Yes, of course. Must be. Uh, important. This it's the most important this podcast important. in the history of the world. Right. Yes. Uh, it's blank check with Griffin and David. It's very serious and it's very important. My name is Griffin. My name is David. Uh, we got the full deck today. Yeah, I'm producer Ben. I'm here today. I'm uh, social media maven Marie. I'm also here today. And we have someone else joining us in the studio on your desk. We do. Uh, she had a lot of thoughts about this weekend mm -hmm. at the cinema. Uh, her name is film director Barbie. And uh, I believe you said she cost uh, $5 at Ross Dress for Less? Uh, it was TJ Maxx. Might okay. have been 10 so, bucks. Okay. Hey. And my mom bought it for me. Hey. <laughs> Gold. Yeah, I just saw Barbie with a, a camera and a little viewfinder. And I was yeah. like, I need, I, I need her. Look, this is a, it's not a, a Barbie episode, right? Because no. this is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career, just given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce, baby. Boing. And all of what I just said certainly applies to Barbie and the career of Greta Gerwig, but it is not a career we have covered up no. until this point. Genuinely, uh, don't really consider people until they've made four, four films. I mean, technically, this is her fourth film. Would we cover uh, nights and weekends if we no. did Greta Gerwig? That would be like a no. we do that on Patreon or something, right? We do that on Patreon in the black hole. Yeah, movies not great. I also uh, it, we excluded her from best first film consideration uh, when Lady Bird came out at the New York Film Critics Circle because of nights yeah. and weekends. We don't talk about Joe Swanberg no. anymore. No, and his whole thing was like. Well, everyone directed this movie. Mm, so okay, when people, buddy. right, when people say like that was her first co-directing credit, I'm like, she had a big hand in that movie. But his thing was always like, this is a collective. We gave her best film instead. I love, I love that for you guys. Great, great moment. Um, for us. Yeah. But but that was one of two massive movies that came out last weekend. One was Barbie. Yep. A film we probably will cover in some future date when Greta Gerwig has made more films. I look, I I love and admire the films of Greta Gerwig. And I yes. think we'll talk about her one day on this podcast, right. but not today. Because uh she is one of the few people in the modern era, the last ten years, who has been able to carve out a kind of classic blank check career. That keeps on trucking up and up and up. It's true. While also maintaining complete control of her voice and her style and her worldview. Uh, and it, for a long time, it felt like, is Christopher Nolan the last guy who got through the door and got to build a career that way at that scale with that intentionality? Mm. And these two people were pitted against each other, the box office weekend and what became uh, probably the biggest cultural phenomenon in movies in a decade. Yeah, because all the other biggest weekends were just one. We're just one giant movie. superhero movie, and it's it's been the problem well. of one movie overperforming to the deficit of all other films in the marketplace. Right, everything getting squeezed out, and you had two very weird movies that came out and played like fucking big titty blockbusters. And the second one is Oppenheimer, the movie we are talking about today, the new film by Christopher Nolan, who we covered on the podcast back in twenty seventeen. Whoa. Right? Is that, that's a I, long I believe that's time correct. Because it was yeah. it was time to Dunkirk, or it was time to uh, Dunkirk. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. our Dunkirk episode came out about a month late, but it was it was yep. time to to hot Dunkirk summer. Uh, but yeah, Christopher Nolan is the guy that I think became the modern archetype of that's how you do it. And this guy kind of does one for me, one for them's, but the one for them still feel personal, and the ones for him feel just like even wilder swings, and all of them work. 
And I feel like there was a big, uh, a lot of discourse in the last week or so, uh, people talking online about, like, who are the name directors that normies know? And how many of them are people who have come up in the last 15 years, as opposed to the obvious names like Spielberg who have existed forever, right? Yeah. Uh, And it's a pretty limited group. And two of the people who get thrown out as, like, recent people able to cut through are Gerwig and Jordan Peele, but they both had the benefit of being on-camera people for 10 to 15 years before their movies hit. Mm. Nolan is the guy. He is the guy where, like, you look at this movie in particular, and the biggest letters on the poster are a film by Christopher Nolan. That's true. That is the biggest selling point. Well, the biggest letters are Oppenheimer, and that's why people are buying tickets, because they love Oppenheimer, the guy. The man. It's hot IP. As does this film. Yes. This film loves him unreservedly. Unreservedly. And uh, at the end, there's a big thumbs up emoji. Yep. Yep. And then underneath it says, this thumbs up represents our opinion of the things that he did. If that is your read on the film, then congratulations. You are correct. <laughs> you have read this movie properly. Love the Whatever. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, it's not even. Honestly, the discourse on both Barbie and Oppenheimer has been pretty good, considering the movies are so seismic. Considering, uh, because yeah. like it's mostly just people being like, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Mattel had a bit of a hand in Barbie. Yeah, you know the toy company. So I don't know if people know this actually, but J. Robert Oppenheimer had a bit of a hand in the. <laughs> Creation, creation. Whoa, whoa, whoa. nuclear oh, weapon. This is news to me on he both did. fronts. He did. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. Yep. No, Barbie was not a uh, plucky little indie film, just sort of oh. like crowdfunded or anything like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We didn't actually, you don't actually see the bombs being dropped on you know? Japan in Oppenheimer. So that might be why Ben didn't know. Didn't know. Right. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. Yeah. Right. yeah. Look, this is one of the big things that, that people are arguing over. And uh, uh, we... What if your seat printed out a statement that was like, I, Christopher Nolan, think that yeah. that was bad? Well, that's... When people talk about, like, what do the movie theaters need <laughs> to do to draw people back in, right? Sure. Seat printers? Yeah, seat fax printers. Machines. <laughs> fax machines. Just a little roll yes. unfurls. Right. In real time, during the movie, a running commentary of the director explained to you everything they feel. Cleanly, or maybe clearly. there's like a heat no ambiguity. Like good, 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 bad, 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 bad. bad, bad. bad. And um, he's like, I feel guilty. Good, good, yes. you should, you should. Well, I think a lot of what people are chewing over on this film, and I, I, on balance, I'm very into the fact that just the culture is very engaged in trying to wrestle with both of these films. Sure. Which I think are both That's what I'm saying. interesting, complicated, thorny movies that are both kind of wrestling with themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good to have some stupids in there along with some smarts. Absolutely. Um, mm. eh, come on. Society. It's more, yeah, it's more generous. Some sillies. It means people are we seeing it. Society. We can't we all be film director Barbies who also <laughs> have a perfect understanding of semiotics. True. True. Right. God, um, she's so smart. The bio so smart, on the back of film director the Barbie. Mm. What? Hmm? She can't climb the stairs. But she can she's sit a plastic in, doll. But she can sit in her little chair. <laughs> That's the number one slam is. you throw at her. She, there are <laughs> a lot of things she can't, can't do, stairs. That's the biggest one that jumps out to you? Seems like an issue. The back of her package had like an explanation of what a film director does. And I said to Maria, I think this is a better definition than I've heard like, outlined most places. <laughs> like de- defining like what is what what, what is does a, a director, director do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Sets the tone and look of the film. 
It doesn't begin like Andrew Saris defined the auteur theory. <laughs> no, it's not auteur theory. It's like this is what the, the job French, is. The French theory of mise en scène. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, right. this there's nothing foofy about this. This is just foofy. What, uh, film director Barbie wakes up in the morning. What does her day look like? Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. <laughs> she is picked up by a driver yes. to take her to set. Yeah. Uh, director driver Barbie, right. probably. Right. And you could argue that's actually the hardest working person on the set because they have to wake up the earliest. Yes. Their sure, day they they the got to be half an hour before. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. right. Her Barbie PA gets her a Barbie coffee. Yes. And if she's a good director, she knows the PA's name. Right. People would say that's not the most important part of the job, but in a certain way it is. I have a feeling it would be Ken. Ken. PA. Ken or, would be the PA. Ken yeah, would be the PA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On a Barbie film set, all the PAs so are Ken. We've yes. all, yeah. We've all right? seen both films. <laughs> yes. Although I believe David is the only one of us to have done the Bar Barbenheimer experience. They screened I both did on do the it same day. Uh, same day, even after yeah. mocking the very concept where I was like, guys, there are multiple days in a weekend. Like you can yeah. fucking spread it out and be okay. Well, I well, ended well. up seeing them both the same day because yeah. that's what, what was demanded of me. Look, yeah. 200,000 people. I saw Barbie, people. then Oppenheimer. That was my order. That feels like I saw these films on separate days. I've seen Barbie once now and Oppenheimer twice. Yeah. Same here. Uh... I feel like that has to be the order. I initially thought yeah. that that should that should be the opposite because it should be fucking um, Barbie's the pick me up. Exactly, like oh yeah, you know, get get Oppenheimer done. Yeah, if, you know, eat your big meal. Sure, and then Barbie's your lovely dessert. But no, now I'm like, no. If I saw Oppenheimer, I'd be like, I don't want to watch another movie right that's, now. I need to go home and sit. That's what our buddy JD Amato did, and you joined them just for the second half for the Barbie. But they did like yeah. early Oppenheimer, then like a big lunch and extended hangout. Like gave a couple hours. Yeah, I, I think, think that's tough. I think, I think it think is so better too. to do Barbie first because yeah. when I was sitting down to see Barbie, I'll confess. At 30 Hudson Yards, the, the evil headquarters of evil Warner Brothers. It's Aslov's castle. Beautiful screening room. I, you know, kind of had this, you know, I, I've been looking forward to Barbie. I like mm -hmm. Greta Gerwig, but I was kind of like, I, I, I'm excited for Oppenheimer. Like, I don't know if Day I, before this you were feels throwing like a, a couple of strays at Barbie. Yeah, you, I was like, oh. you, were, you walked out, you said, I'm seeing Barbie tomorrow. I went, that's exciting. You went, eh, it's going to be, I, I get it. I, I want to see Oppenheimer. I get it. It'll be good. I get yeah, it. Yeah, I know I what it's so going like, to be. I know what Barbie's going to be. And then Barbie yeah. surprised me. Barbie I will surprised say. you. You it's cried plot. two times? I did, I did, I did choke up. I cried twice too, um, David. I choke up just like at footage of children playing. Though. I was yeah, like, that's I'm just what got like, me. Yeah, you're um, becoming. You're look. You're becoming a bit of a Kevin Smith. Does no he disrespect cry a lot? to you, well, but buddy. I've always been an easy cry. I, that's what I I'm cry saying. That's what I'm saying. And I, I respect. I respect. Uh, respect the emotional uh, access that mm -hmm. both of you have. Mm -hmm. The me lack of guardedness. I didn't cry at all. Steely disposition. Yeah. <laughs> The entire time. Yeah. Didn't even laugh. No, Ben just sat and he listened. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you sat your 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 boy ass down. Yeah. You listen respectfully. Yep. Uh, just with my so, fist on my chin. So yeah, but no, I mean it was a bit of a tiring day because I watched Barbie. I liked yep. Barbie. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I had to race to the office and review Barbie. And right. And race to Lincoln Square to to meet Mr. Oppenheimer. Doctor? Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say, no, I can't say because it's a future miniseries. We had an episode scheduled we to were record supposed between to the do two a podcast in between. That would have been, in retrospect, insane. I'll say this. I won't say what what movie it was, but it was an Alex Ross Perry Certainly episode. Certainly a big one. Certainly a big one. And we knew it was going to take a lot of time and it was probably going to be fiery and it was smart to bump it to a different day. But so yes, you had some reset time and then we, uh, we all saw Oppenheimer 
Uh, yeah, we did. Yes. Except you, for Ben. Ben You, Marie, there. and I saw Oppenheimer, and then Ben, Marie, and I saw Oppenheimer a couple days after that. Then apparently Ben just went and saw it again. Yeah. I did. Solo? Solo bolo. You just you just took your ass to Oppie? Matinee. Regal Astoria, was it? That's right. Yeah. It was. You know what was so nice about it? I never as, a, as a resident of New mm. York City, yeah. how rarely do you get to drive and park mm. at a parking garage sure. to go see a fucking movie? Yeah. Damn, that yeah. was a real fucking luxury. So my question about the the it's the Kaufman. It's a classic. Regal. The Regal Kaufman UA. story. It's right by uh, uh, whatchamacallit. What's the, the Museum of the Moving Image? Well, that, but also what's the soundstage that's by the Silver Cup? Yeah. No. It, no, it's no. not Silver Cup. It's Is it the, Kaufman? Yeah, Kaufman, Kaufman. story. Yeah. Yes, it's of course. Kaufman. What am I saying? So yes, do they I have been here actually. I haven't yeah. been to that Regal in a minute, but do they still have the Alvin and the Chipmunks? In the lobby, or did I, they take I those away? I think they finally got rid of them. I don't think right. No, I I just remember seeing the Barbie display. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they had they the had like fiberglass. Yes. They had. I mean, they're they're as as recent as spies in disguise. <laughs> yes. I'm seeing right. here. I think they finally only recently during the pandemic. I think I retired them. Well, if they anyone went to a nice farm upstate. Yeah, if anyone okay. knows where those guys are, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know. Um, but we we uh we saw it the first time in seventy millimeter. Yeah, which is, is still mm -hmm. the one time you have seen it, David. Yeah, and then we saw it in IMAX. Yeah, I'll go see it in IMAX in four weeks when there yeah, are tickets available. Hottest yeah. ticket in New York City. Selling like crazy. Easier to get in to see Hamilton oh! than it is to get in. I saw. The... I literally saw someone selling a ticket for a thousand dollars on Craigslist. It's wild. Someone, no, I don't know if he's successful. Someone sure. in our Reddit was selling uh, <laughs> tickets for like a hundred dollars. Jesus. To the same screening that we went to on Sunday. Gosh. Yeah, that's why. If they had known that we were going to that screening, they might have upped the price a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys got good seats? We did. Yeah. We got yeah. really good. All credit to Marie, who jumped. She pounced. Yeah. Uh, the second they went she on She didn't sale. bounce, baby. She pounced. Baby. I pounced. She um, did. But all this to say, David, you have not seen IMAX yet. Ben, no. the second time you saw it, I imagine it was digital, or do you know? Yeah, it was, it was 2D. Good old-fashioned laser. 2D. 2D. Okay. <laughs> What if, what if Ben came in here and he was like, it was a 3D I show? It was 3D. <laughs> I didn't even film that thing. <laughs> they just kind of projected it sideways yeah. and had yeah. like a couple extra walls. Fucked up. Is it tilt your hand? <laughs> it was less of a screening and more of a play. I, I have seen it. <laughs> right. They just had like also, regal employees. It come was out about and... a bunch of Mormons, like, yeah. you know, singing. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It didn't seem like I'm high. It was at so all. different. They the were in suits. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Right. But, yeah. They went to like Africa. Yeah. I don't know. But it was, it was, <laughs> maybe it was a different cut. I've never seen like the whole plot, every cast member change between two screenings of the same film. <laughs> oh boy. Um, Beautiful theater. Though. Why did yes. you land on Book of Mormon? I don't know. I was just kind of like, I have to pick a running, like a long running show. I already that's kind of pulled boring. a Hamilton reference. Yeah, you you couldn't yeah. do that. I took that off the table. I thought about Wicked, yeah. but Book of Mormon's kind of funnier because you're just well, kind of like, oh, it's just running. I mean, and talk about discourse. We can't talk about Wicked right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> too hot to touch. Um, um, I think this movie is incredibly good. Oh. I do too. Yeah. Uh, I would go so far as to call it a masterpiece. <gasps> I will say, walking you out dare. second time, Marie and I looked at each other and we kind of feel like it might be masterpiece level. Yeah. Very and, excited and, that and you guys and the felt IMAX that way after. Bump, yeah. But also just the way, uh, knowing everything going in. This is a movie where you're watching it the first time, and I think there's a bit of a twist, but it's a twist just in perspective, right? Yes. It's not a plot twist as much as it's like reframing how you've thought about the movie. And I do think because Nolan is 
the biggest name involved in this movie. I'm not saying he's the most famous person, but much like Barbie, they're both examples where everyone in the audience is pretty much sitting there going, what does Christopher Nolan have to say about Robert Oppenheimer? Which is a pretty fucking unique position to have like mainstream culture being right. like, I know who this guy is. I understand his oeuvre. And I'm trying to figure out why he wants to make this movie, right? It's not just us nerds spinning on this. And I think for a lot of the film, that's like kind of one of the central tensions is like, what is it that's driving him to this? What is the thing he wants to say? What is he exploring? And I think uh, it, it's it's what all the discourse is about is like, what yeah, is he trying to do and what is he avoiding doing and all that sort of stuff? I don't want to talk about the fucking discourse. No, exactly. uh, we but already I, had our fun with them. Absolutely. I, I found this film very interesting through the prism of nolan who is a guy who is like uh as uh, chewed upon as any modern director but in so many ways does feel kind of unknowable it is very easy to make jokes about him it is very easy to parody him it is very easy to do analysis of his work and identify what his themes are and what like what we can sort of extrapolate like this is clearly a fear in his life because he keeps on going back to this or this is a thing he loves because he keeps on putting this on screen. But in a certain way, his interviews are always very clinical, you know? Sure. He's not someone who's going out there and doing like crazy self-promotion. No, he's he's a reserved British he's man. He's a reserved British man. Through and through. Right. He doesn't feel guarded. The way every like it's been so interesting to see Robert Downey Jr. talk to the press because Robert Downey Jr. has no filter in a way the very few stars like you know because he just what does he care right, right. and he's genuinely bigger than anyone else in this I movie just in his way. Pause you right here and mm -hmm. say to our listeners if you have not read the New York Times interview with Robert Downey Jr. You have, yes. you have but, to. Uh, but I also watched a lot of these. You know, they do these fun the the wired autocomplete yes. and these round tables timeline and of stuff. my career and all those things. And other actors have said this too. But the way Robert Downey Jr. talks about how like you think you're going in on set, he probably was imagining something of a Finchery experience yes. of this sort of like I need this exact. I you know I yeah. have all the blocking. I know exactly how this is supposed to look in my head, and we're just going to do it again and again right. until I get it right. And apparently with Nolan, it's much more like, no, 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 no marks on the floor. Let's right. feel out the space. We're going to figure this all out together. And somehow it'll be quick yes. and kind of gentle. Like, yeah. you know, like, and you're like, this movie has tons of people in it. Yeah. Right? Like all these conversational scenes where there's a bunch of different, like, elements of uh, human elements to consider. B Benny Safdie, uh, oh, his, his interview he, his with interview Bilga, with Bilga I highly recommend. Because oh, that look. is another filmmaker talking about how a filmmaker works. Yes. It, it, with reverence and specificity. Bilga was very deep in the Oppenheimer trenches and everything he's been posting uh, from his Oppenheimer findings and all his interviews that he did over months and months and months, all of it's worth reading. Yes. But he basically said, like, I know how filmmaking works. I've run sets myself yes, right yes and uh I, I get the call sheet and i go like this scene's gonna be a fucking nightmare right. it's eight pages days. it yeah. has a hundred extras we're in the middle of the desert it's this and that the dialogue's really intense right how are we gonna get this all done in one day and we were done by lunch and we were done by lunch without feeling rushed or panic right. where it all felt very organic and a lot of it is uh that when, when a filmmaker gets to this level um People know what they like and what they want. The greatest sort of like power they have uh, earned is the luxury of people backing the fuck off right. and letting them do things their way and not interfering. And it's like you have trusted collaborators. You hire people who have a sense of like, I understand how I'm going to fit into his worldview. And they let things play out kind of organically, you know? What a G. Yeah. I think he's a cool guy. I do. 
And I do think, like, he had to do a lot more press for this movie because of the strikes. Uh, yeah, although they banked a ton of they did. stuff, obviously. But, but especially in the two weeks leading mean, up to it, he's the one guy doing TV interviews true, and things like he's, that. He's, he's, he's a celebrity also, director. That's the thing. Yeah. He's a fucking name, yeah. Yes, he really I just is. think I saw less of him going out there and doing the sort of personality stuff as opposed to just sort of like the junket video I, clips that would get recirculated. Yeah, 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 no, I mean, but I think things like... I Wasn't was he on The View? He was on The View. Yeah, he he's was... On the, he's a guest host on The View all the time. Yeah. yeah. He's always, he's always <laughs> he's jumping always in. He and Whoopi always cut it off. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um, like, obviously, Tenet, basically, the publicity for Tenet was very limited because no one was, yeah. like, interacting mm-hmm. with each other back then. And then, like, Dunkirk, I'm trying to remember. Like, because in Dunkirk, he really was, like, yeah. the name. yes. And I guess it was sort of similar to this publicity rollout. I don't really... I do feel like he felt looser in this round of press. As loose as he ever gets. Yeah, I mean, he's still a reserved Brit. But But he did admit that Talladega Nights is one of his favorite movies on a TikTok If you ain't first, you're lost. Like, you know, he said like that. (laughs) That moment where Rich Eisen's jaw just dropped. I can't believe I got you to say that. I feel like he's shouted out that movie before. I'm trying to remember... I, it it ring, rang a bell. Well, if I Google it now, he's, it'll just be that. He is also one of those guys where everyone who works with him says like, because there's this feeling of like, is he secretive? Is he private? Right. Is he loof? Is he unknowable? And everyone who works with him is like really nice guy. Right. Right. right? Like, like it has his oddness, but with like but a, gen- a generally, nice no, no yelling. Man. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And he's not like uh, uh, performatively obtuse, you mm-hmm. know, or distant or whatever. And the thing you always hear from people is like he watches everything. Right. Well, he's like not a snob about. I'm going to shout it out. Yeah. Our friend Bobby Finger ran into him at the Regal Essex. What was he doing? Watching Skinnamarink, baby. That that's the thing I love. Where he's like, <sighs> poor Christopher oh, Nolan. Skinnamarink was all right. No, it was not. Yeah, David. big jerk. It was. It, no, yeah, no that's an interesting film. Marie, Come on. how much of Skinnamarink did you watch? I know you bought a ticket. And I know you went to see it in theaters. But you texted us in the middle of the movie and said, <laughs> "I'm currently inside of my coat, hiding from Skinnamarink." <laughs> yes. It was a deeply unpleasant experience, Film should Griffin. not be experienced through a coat. That's uh, Christopher <laughs> Nolan. I've always said uh, coats will be the death of the theatrical I, experience. I will, <laughs> I will, Netflix is giving everyone coats. I will say that I was reminded... David Zaslav is trying to put coats on the American viewing public. <sighs> yeah, I like our Nolan impressions. Just, Just so, so quiet oh, and, and serious. Doing ASMR right into the mic. And I do love when he's like... HBO is the, the shittiest streaming service. And everyone was like, no, it's not. And I was like, he's mad, guys. Like, yeah. it's, it's okay. Right. I was like, it's got some good shows right. on it. I'm like, I don't think he went through the library yeah. of HBO Max. I'm, I'm fucking furious. Finish so your wait, point, Maria. No, I'm no, sorry. My, my one I'm point. going to drag HBO Max on main. I could, now I have another HBO point to make. But my first point about Skinnamarink is I was thinking of Skinnamarink mm-hmm. with the audio jump scares in Oppenheimer. In Oppenheimer, sure. Those mm. are the only two movies I can remember seeing in a theater well, maybe and he saw skin jumped and, it's like we gotta uh, yeah. crank you know, the volume up you know, open, opened bombs. it back up again did yeah. you notice that skin got a special thing <laughs> like the the demon yeah yes <laughs> uh okay so that was my skin thought and then okay. my hbo thought is there's a lot of talk about warner's scheduling barbie to go up against oppenheimer yes. as a petty fuck you as a, as, yeah. as a spite uh yes. you know a spite store kind this, of thing this is basically big nolan weekend right the majority of his films or a good chunk of them and especially most of the his highest grossing films have come out between uh, july 20th and july 20th every film except for tenet which was intended to come out then right. obviously yes. but was pushed a bit uh and and interstellar 
which is pretty much the only movie he didn't make entirely right. with WB and was put out in the fall. And I bet you he wishes he put that out. Yes. In, and and in Batman Begins was June. But from Dark Knight right. on, yep. they're all basically his lucky end of July right. corridor. But my question, didn't H, didn't what is now Max uh-huh. remove Westworld? The Jonathan Nolan show. Mm-hmm. Did they? I think they removed they it. They yeah. sold it to. But, but do you think that no. Fubo? was part no, of I don't the think that fuck was you I think Nolan that was family? Their, that was later. Yeah. I know, but no, that's their general incompetence. Yeah, that's general. <laughs> that I don't know. That to me, I was like, hmm. They did. They did that. They, they sold it to like fucking Fubo or or Rivet or yeah. I bought it. Move. Right, I bought it. <laughs> yeah. I gave him 800 bucks and, you know, whatever, yeah, a bottle that, of wine. That was that like, whole sure, weird thing Westworld. where, like, they also, like, Zaslav wrote a check to Nolan for, like, $10 million recently to be like, hey, sorry. Yeah, although then it was just like, well, but it was just residuals. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, right. like, Zaslav was trying to spin it as, like, I, I gave him a really healthy kind of, and then other people were like, no, those are just, like, residuals he was owed. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I do know one thing. It yes, didn't, David. It didn't work or matter, this this spite release no, thing. No, it helped, helped It's everybody. one of those sort of magic, it happens sometimes of just like, everyone goes just to see the movies. And yeah. maybe Barbie's sold out and you end up in Oppenheimer right. or vice versa. Maybe both are sold out and you're like, fine, Dial of Destiny, he's Paw what's he Patrol. looking for? <laughs> well, I don't well think Ben, do you know? Yeah, Paw- you know who Paw Patrol's yeah. going up against? Do you know this, Ben? Paw Patrol... There's a new what, what is it? It's called Paw Patrol The Mighty Paws movie or The Mighty movie or something. I think it's The Mighty movie. It's the second movie, which is now they all get superpowers, right? Yeah. And that had staked out its release date, and it was theirs alone, no competition. And then a sneaky little studio named Lionsgate <laughs> rode its tricycle up, <laughs> and the new Barbenheimer is Saw Patrol. Saw 10 <laughs> comes out the same day as The Mighty movie. And there's a lot of audience crossing the overlap. <laughs> so can I just we'll talk about Oppenheimer. Parents I, dragging their kids. I'm gonna I'm gonna I sat through Mighty Movie. You have to th- sit through Saw, Saw X, X with me. So <laughs> little Timmy. I'm gonna we're gonna start Oppenheimer after I say this thing. Okay. Like, okay. Right, I feel like I'm I'm setting the I'm setting the marker. Yeah. So Saw X has been announced. Yes. It will star Tobin Bell, the He's jigsaw back. killer. It's about him going to Mexico to get uh, some uh, experimental health treatment. Right. Because of course <laughs> Tobin Bell dies in Saw 2. Yes. And Saw 3 is set around his autopsy. And then I believe as the Saws progress, they had increasing trouble trying to work him in. Right. So there's all this like timeline fuckery in Fill Saw. Gaps. To, like with right. flashbacks and stuff. And so this one, they're just like, it's set between Saws 1 and 2. Okay, so he's in it. Yeah. And I tweeted a joke like, oh, you know, the most terrifying thing of all, the mm-hmm. you know, healthcare system. Right. Yeah. Funny joke by me. Just sure. fucking trolling Wait, for Wait, the healthcare system? That's Because like he li- needs like cancer treatment. It's Wait, but that's literally... I thought you were making a joke. Uh, making no, a no, joke. no. Okay, the plot so of the movie is he does die of cancer. It's, does. it's the whole motivation for his twist. I haven't games. seen any of well, the saws. So I've only seen saws one and two, and of course I did open the book of saws. You did. Crazy spiral. Yes, but I've not ever seen all the saws. All sure. these people fucking start tweeting at me, being like, "Bro, that's what Saw Six is about," and I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> okay." And I'm like, okay. "No, no, you don't understand. Saw Six is kind of the best one," and I'm like. I can feel it in me, the, the the piece of me that just watched all the Insidiouses, yeah. where I'm just like, am I going to have to watch all the Saws? You know you're going to. Oh, God damn it. I think I am. Yeah. So I'll skip Spiral. I saw that one. Yeah. And maybe I skipped the original, because I've seen the original a few times. Although maybe it'll be nice to walk back down memory road with Jigsaw. What do you think? Yeah. 
Old times' sake. Yeah, maybe do it on Patreon. See, saw. Do it on. No, we're not doing it on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> take up the, half the year. There's so many of these fucking movies. Wait, so he's actually like, is he in a puppet costume? No, no the puppet is just like a little robot. <laughs> yeah. So he's got a robot puppet, and then but he yeah. sends to talk because the uh, puppet is named Jigsaw, and he's also named no, Jigsaw. No, the pup's the puppet's name is Billy. Billy yeah, the puppet Billy on the, the puppet. tricycle. Wait, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he calls I, himself Jigsaw. The whole look, Marie. The he, whole, he's this like, looks like when I went over thing. to Erlix to watch Bluey, and I was like, "Wait, Bluey is a girl." Yeah, Bluey's a girl, but Bingo's a girl as well. Yeah, they're sisters. But I thought Bluey was a boy. Why? Because he's blue. Yes. Maybe you better check yourself. Yep. I know. Well, well so Bluey, so very barbied thinking. Marie. Bluey's parents are Bandit, who is blue, right? Australians. So they're both Australian mm-hmm. uh, herding dogs or whatever, right? And uh, Chili, who is sort of brown. Right, so I thought... And so Chili, each of their kids no, has one of their coloring. Right, but right. I thought it would be the boy looks like the boy, the boy looks like the dad, and Marie. the girl looks like the mom. They got two girls, And you know baby. what? I'm sorry. Gender essentialism. Look, I'm I'm Oof. currently writing a Bluey article because they put up some new episodes. Yes. And my editors were eager for it. But I recently was talking to my wife. Your editor is your two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. <laughs> Bluey, Bluey. 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 I mean, she literally was asking me for Bluey today. Um, and... I was just having a conversation with my wife. My, my child is not even in the room. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, "Do you think Bandit and Chili will have a third kid? Because like they're aging <laughs> in the show. Like the show is it moves is actually time, moving sure. forward in time." What, would the kid? Would the third kid be a mix? Well, we don't. I was I was just sort of floating the idea. I was like, "I think," and she was like, "No, but they threw out the crib in that one episode." And I was like, oh, "Yeah." So they're probably done. They're probably done. And I was like, "Wait, I'm talking about them like they're real people." You're they're analyzing it like dogs. a fucking madman. They could yeah. intru- It could be like the a element surprise. of surprise, could and be. that is a very. Re- I, I've heard Bluey is very realistic in the way it deals with human emotions. It is. It is. It's. So, I mean, it's a perfect show. To be clear, yeah, I love sure. Bluey so much. I just thought it was funny that I was talking about them like I was talking about my friends. Where I was yes. like, "Did you know I have another kid?" Okay, Should we have Bluey on the show? Yeah, absolutely. I would. I mean, the, the, I would die. We yeah. don't know that who voices Bluey though. They don't put it in the it's credits. A, it's yeah, like an you know Australian child voice. Bluey oh. is a cartoon. Tension. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, <laughs> it's an animated right. series. It's just like the tension of Ben trying to book Chappie to be on the show recently. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, we got film director Barbie here. It's we not did. We do have film director Barbie. It's not hard. She's pretty quiet though. I yeah. will say. Yes, she's not saying it. Well, because she's not on mic. She has headphones, but she's not on mic. We haven't done the levels. Okay, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Yeah. Released July 21st, 2023. Just, you know, to to sort of uh, quickly line things up. Right, it's like Nolan's this guy. He we, we many times on the podcast have bemoaned the step that is missing from most people's career, which is the insomnia between Memento and Batman. Right. The, you sort of get to level up with bigger stars and a bigger budget, but you're not immediately thrown into franchise churn. Sure. And Batman Begins was this example of, like, we feel so defeated by Batman and Robin, we gotta let you do whatever you want. He makes something that's very much him. Okay. And Are you recapping Nolan's whole career right now? I, I'm, doing? I'm doing a very brief overview to build to a very yeah, specific point. I thought point. you were going to be like, okay, so let's go back to 1939. Hitler invades Poland. Well, <laughs> it's another attack. career worth looking at. <laughs> what, Hitler? <laughs> I don't think not so. Not a good one. I'm not saying we should know cover him. I'm not saying we should cover him. It was influential. Okay. Uh, I don't like the guy. Yeah, all right. At all. all right. I'm, I'm, In fact, I'm downshifting on this. I quite dislike him. <laughs> okay. okay. On a personal level. Okay. I disagree right. with a lot of what he's doing. Nolan. 
Let's just keep it moving. I'd be pretty unambiguous yeah, Stop here. laughing, Marie, because we're going to have to cut this. Not a fan of the fellow. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not sure we should. <laughs> no, It's the Norm Macdonald bit, the Hitler, the more I read about this guy, the less I like him. The less I like him. I mean, anyway, Christopher Nolan. Uh, uh, but most of his films are being made at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Uh, he uh, Dark Knight is the moment where it's like, holy fucking shit. Uh-huh. And then his blank check after that is Inception. When that is almost as big as Dark Knight. It's like, oh, wow, this guy can do anything he wants. Yeah. Continues to have this run where he gets to write the rules of his career. And running parallel with that is him more and more taking on this role as the spokesperson of what he thinks is, like, the culture of cinema that needs to be preserved. What he feels like is at stake, is at in danger, right? A hundred percent. He is a deep and uh, vocal advocate for seeing movies in a movie theater. And, yes. for C- and for the use of large format filming, you know, to to emphasize the power of cinema. Yeah, and a lot of the covering of him is like, is he a weird Luddite? He doesn't have a smartphone. He doesn't Man, check emails. Right, all these things. Uh, so this obviously all builds to Tenet. <sighs> Tenet! Which is just set up as another Chris Nolan movie. Sure. Here's just going to be another well, one, another big summer uh, well, heady. I think also he seemed to have been settling into this sort of like, I'm going to go like slightly more prestige, slightly more genre. Yes. Like I'll t- flip back and forth. That was Dun- his Dunkirk. version of the one for me, one for them. Dunkirk was a little more, still a big, you know, That's action-y movie. All but of them more... were still hitting. None of them are are, are too esoteric to play yes. uh, with mainstream audiences. But Tenet was more like, let me, you know, do sort of a sci-fi James Bond movie, blah, blah, blah. I right? think it was on the Big Picture podcast they talked about, it felt like Dunkirk and Tenet back-to-back were him sort of like splitting his own atom. His, his, mm, his interests. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, you know what Tenet does? What? Fuck all day and night. Good lord. That movie is absolute sex. For a sexless film. Tenet, they should have called it Tantric. With the way you're describing uh, it. I'm so- eager to see it again. I really hope they put it back in That's IMAX. That's what I want. I, look, I want my chance to see that movie in IMAX. Look, I saw it in IMAX. I went to Lincoln Square Lucky and duck. saw it. But I just was so overwhelmed being back in a movie theater. Yeah. What's that this, don't... you know, swill on the schedule in s- sort of late August or whatever? Yeah. Clear it out? Uh, the Give mi- me Tenet. The Mighty Movie has a six-week hold on the IMAX. The, what, is, <laughs> what is the Mighty Movie? The Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol. Oh. movie. <laughs> Jesus, they're going to come fucking arrest me. <laughs> Throw me in their fire truck. Yeah. Uh, Tenet uh, Fs so hard, and... In in retrospect, the movie made three hundred sixty million dollars in twenty twenty. I mean, it is, it, it did pretty. Go- I mean, it's sort Absolutely. of impossible to kind of I mean, evaluate you and that I, movie. I think you and I were talking about this that like Tenant was quietly, in certain ways, yeah, kind of the best thing that could happen for him. In that, like, he was getting to this point in his career where it's like, well, now the pressure and the expectation is so high on each of his movies because the guy essentially doesn't miss. Right. He hasn't whiffed, right? And right. even so like, he whiffs, but it's like sort of a, an understandable whiff or whatever. Right. Because like, well, I, I, out of him, out of his control. Yeah, he totally. whiffs ish. I yeah. do think if that movie had come out in a normal world, it might have been seen as a bit of a disappointment because it is, it, it is a very uh, elusive movie. It's hard to know though. It might have done well. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, we have no idea. Who knows? But like We the, don't know. We were saying his worst his worst movie, I, I think most people think is Dark Knight Rises. I think that uh I, I yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean I think following is whatever. 
maybe oh sure you know maybe sure. exclude his worst major movie is is Dark Knight Rises right. I would say a movie some that people love that movie. made a metric shit ton of money yeah that sure. does have its big defenders and also at the time was positively received its sort of reputation has gone through weird shifts over yeah. time over the last decade right yeah. Uh, but Tenet's the one that maybe would have divided people a little bit more, and it came out in such weird circumstances. Uh, but part of those circumstances were that Nolan felt this pressure of, like, I can feel cinema culture slipping away. We have to reopen the theaters. We have to right. get this movie in theaters. And he pushed sooner than he should have. And as you said, you step back. It's insane that that movie made $60 million coming out when it US, did. sure. And, you know, 360. That's worldwide. bananas. Yeah. It basically yeah. had four to five months where there was nothing else playing in theaters. What, it was September to December, basically, right? Yeah, sure. It, um, that whole time is a bit of a blur. Same. Yeah. Um, but it did it did create this odd thing of like, oh, there's this Christopher Nolan movie that kind of half doesn't exist, yeah. right? Yeah. And that people saw in this very trickled way. Very few people saw it in IMAX. Mm. They see it mostly at home. What whatever, and then there's this sort of whole Warner Brothers. They announced they're going to put all their 2022 movies on HBO. 2021, Jesus, on HBO Max, and Nolan is just like fuck this. Yeah. HBO Max worst right. streaming service. I'm leaving. I'm going to Universal. Right, or, or rather, he said, "I'm a free agent." I'm right. a free agent. Uh, apparently, Paramount dropped out fast because they were also making a lot of like streaming is the future noise, sure. and so he was like not interested. So I think the major players for his business were basically Sony and Universal. Yes. And he really likes Donna Langley, who uh -huh. runs Universal. Yes. And she's very – she's more old school, I would say. And I she, think so. And she probably, he probably responded to that. And they gave him a big budget, yeah. obviously. Uh, 100-day exclusive theater. You know, like, you know, we're not going to put it on streaming for a long time. Yes. And they cleared out the schedule where it's like there's no universal release, like uh, three yeah. weeks either side. Right. They gave him a real sweetheart deal. They rolled out the red carpet. But as you said, when he goes like, I'm a free agent now, you go every fucking studio in Hollywood is going to be fighting to get Nolan, yes. a guy who has pretty much been loyal to one studio from the moment he became the biggest director alive. And it wasn't even like at a certain point, he's no longer the biggest director of his generation. It's like Spielberg's name doesn't mean as much as it used to to general audiences. Tarantino does, but not at the same level that Nolan does. Like, his movies just fucking pack them in. Yeah, yeah. Like, someone like Tarantino maybe is more of a celebrity figure, but as his movies are not made for as wide an audience, even though his movies do really well. Totally. Spielberg makes a lot of movies. Yes. And, yeah, he's not a guaranteed... And there used to be a halo know. effect where all Spielberg yeah, yeah, movies... There's still something right. of one, but yes, right. no, he doesn't... Uh, and he doesn't also Spielberg just doesn't feel commercially minded as much anymore. Like, I feel like he's just kind of like, I'm doing my shit over and here. And when he tries to make a commercial movie, it, it arguably now works less well than when he just does whatever interests him at that moment. I'm ready to play one's masterpiece. Um, I agree. But wait, question. Yeah. Would you call Oppenheimer a commercially minded well, film? No, this is I my point. Know. This I is mean... my point. The moment that he's a free agent, you're like, everyone's going to be fighting over him. And then the story comes out. What he wants to do is J. Robert Oppenheimer. Right. And you go like, oh, but he's going to want to do it his way. He's not going to go, let me make a little $20 million palate cleanser movie. Yeah. He's going to want to make a Nolan-sized harrowing drama about, excuse me, what is possibly the most devastating decision in human history. Sure. Right? Um, the fact that, like, Universal roll out the red carpet for him was very exciting. But I have, for the last couple of years, been like, is this going to blow up in everyone's face? You were, Pun you intended. Were, you yeah. were wrong. Are, are, I'm wrong. excited to see this movie. Yeah. 
is him insisting on doing it his way at this size, at this scale, and this style and everything, is this going to lead to a moment where it's like, Otor Cinema is dead. We cannot indulge these people. No. We are so no. back. We're so yeah. back. We're, We're so, so back. I mean, look, I'll also say. Yes. It's even if it's still a World War II movie of sorts. Uh-huh. It's got that hook yes. for, you know, older audiences. And he was right, a, able that. to get a lot of big ass stars in supporting Anyone roles. in the world wants to work with him. Yes. Everyone. I mean, casting RDJ is the perfect example of him being like, I'm going to meeting with anyone and they'll say yes. Yeah. Like, who would say no to him? Daniel Day-Lewis. Right. Maybe. People who are retired. That, Gene like, that's Hackman. It. No, Hackman would do it. Hackman would do yeah. it. You have to play Fat Man. He's like, all right. Almost, <laughs> packing on the pounds. Almost everyone who has more than five lines in this movie has at one point been number one on a call sheet. I think so. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. At, at some level, at some scale, some sort of project... Well, no, I was like going to say Josh Peck, Drake, and Josh, but then was he probably number one on the Wackness? Of course he was. Number one on the Wackness. That's what I'm saying. Like, even if everyone here isn't like a total movie star, almost everyone who speaks has at one point had to carry a thing themselves. You think that's why he cast uh, Thurlby as well? Going up to the the Wackness. I love the wackness. But this is what I find so fascinating about him. <laughs> is you're like, was selling Italian oysters. Maybe, maybe he's seen the wackness four times. He's probably seen the fucking wackness. We yeah. all we all saw the wackness. Admit it, you saw it. I actually didn't. Right, I, I didn't either. It's not bad. Wasn't it about <laughs> NYU? Wasn't yeah. it like Washington Square it's Park Jonathan movie? It's Jonathan Levine. It's, yeah. uh, what's his name? You know, the 50-50 guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't see that movie either. Um, it's got Olivia Thurlby in it. My crush at the time. I loved her. It's, I mean, it's, I still love her. Yeah, it's so funny. In how 2008, he, I really loved. Her. He's got this parallel track thing, right? Where it's like he loves to take guys like Modine, and like uh, uh, Modine's been number one on the fucking call sheet. Of course, he has. Uh, Rutger Hauer. Yep. Uh, Tom Berenger. There's a lot of names. Exactly. Like this. Yes. Right. Like, These guys where they were sort of like briefly. Leading men in the guys 80s. who got some weight, they got a little ballast. Right. Eric Roberts, and then they maybe ended up a little bit in the wilderness. They kept yeah. working, but they weren't given the serious projects. And he loves to give them these media supporting roles. And then he also loves his Wes Bentleys, yeah. his Josh Hartnett's, his Olivia Thurlby's. Fucking wimpy kid, right? But this movie also Roderick had like rules. Alden and Dane <laughs> DeHaan, where yeah. it's like here are guys that Hollywood started to like put all their weight behind, yeah. put the pressure on them, then very quickly kind of discarded them and went maybe you don't have what it takes. And he's like, there's a reason they were in the conversation. Well, give them a couple scenes with some real meat, well, and they'll just show you they're a steady hand. They know what they're doing. I think there's more going on than that though, and we should talk about this film yeah. uh, in general. Um, but I do think he also knows that there are no composite characters in this film. Yes. Uh, so he's not doing the usual shortcutting you would use for a biographical film. He knows if you just fucking recognize the guy's face. Huge. When he pops back up 20 minutes later, he'll be like, yeah, that guy. Right. I saw, you know, yeah, fucking Dane DeHaan. I get it. I get who he is. You need these people pinned in your mind. And he is, always has been, and is such a good caster of actors. He just totally, everyone in this movie fits exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And like, Maybe there's no one in this movie where you're like, wow, that's a really surprising choice. Like everyone, you're kind of like, yeah, he makes sense to do this. Hartnett is maybe the closest. I would but say. But I think he's he works so well. Rock solid. I, oh, I mean, oh, I mean, I, to be clear, I love it. But yeah. he's the one where you're kind of like, oh, I really haven't seen him do this before, right. I no, guess. No, yeah. no. I mean, Although I, I never checked in with old Penny Dreadful. I know he was. I thought he's like a wolf man. I don't think it's this. <laughs> right. Maybe he's, he's a smart wolf okay. man. No, I just also love that they're all theoretical physicists. They're all these like, you know, nerds with lunch pails. And then right. he's the one like practical physicist and he's like yeah. beefy boy. Yeah, he's just like a nice Midwestern man. 
He's Which like, I, I built like, a cyclotron. You want to check Josh it out? I think Josh Hartnett is from Minnesota or something. You want to shoot some Adams yeah. around? Where's yeah. he from? Let's find out. I think out. he's from Minnesota. I think he is. Well, you know what? What? Why don't I just Google him, and then we'll get the answer for sure, and Min- then we'll all be happy. Minnesota nice. Looks like he's from a little place called Minnesota. Wow. Told you. Yeah. I told you. 10,000? I got um, a lot of lakes. Also, talk know. about a guy who has grown into his look. I, but that's uh, also with Nolan, I think. Yes. He really likes the guy who's... Been here for 10, 20 years and yep. has settled into their has look. A, has some history, has some weight, as you said. Even when he's cast in Wimpy Kid, yeah. he's like, well, you've been, you know, By the you way, I'm your sorry. time with Wimpy Kid. I know he's not Wimpy he's Kid, Roderick. he's the he's other Roderick. one. Yeah, and Broderick yeah, yeah. rules. Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> did, did That's the spinoff. The second. Is he Wimpy Kid's friend or yes. enemy? No, 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 wait a second I asked if he was friend or enemy. He is Wimpy Kid's bully older brother. Oh. oh. Older brother. For school. Oh. And the second Wimpy Kid movie in the original franchise before they reboot it, the first of two times, is called Roderick Rules. The right. subtitle is Roderick Rules. Right. And it is that the parents, who I believe are Steve Zahn and Rachel Harris in the original. Sounds right. Uh, they uh, leave Wimpy Kid alone for the weekend with yeah, Roderick. With Roderick. Roderick Devin, Devin Bostick is the actor. Rules. Yeah. He is in charge, and he decides to throw a big-ass party in which no alcohol is drank because the movie is PG. And do you know what Devin Bostick is in as well? Okja. Um, he is in Okja, but do you know what else he's in? What? Saw 6. It all comes he's back to Saw 6. He is. <gasps> I don't know what he does there. I just know he's in it. Is Shawnee Smith in Saw 6? Well, she's in a lot of Saw. She's in almost all of them. Yeah, yeah. She's in most Saw. We can't get into Becker Talk. We can't do it. We can't do it. So, Ben, just play um, the theme song for like two seconds and then cut it out. No. Glad you said no to that. Okay, so what's most interesting about this film to me is that it was conceived, put together, and written all post tenet. Yes. Which is how Nolan operates. I know that he's very much like, I work on the movie I'm working on. And then when it's done, I look for the next thing, and then I work on that. So when he had such a comfortable home at Warner Brothers, it's just like, I decide what I want to do, and then I just bring it to them as a thing. I I get that. I get that right. the idea that, like, he can move heaven and earth in terms of logistics. Yeah. I'm just like, so this is based on a biography written yeah. in 2005 called American Prometheus that won the Pulitzer Prize yeah. by Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. Mm-hmm. I have read this book. Okay. Congratulations, David. And let me tell you, yeah. it's very good. Well, this mm-hmm. fucker is a doorstop. It's a big bull. Yeah. Didn't it take him like 20 years to write yeah, it? It's yeah. like, I mean, and well, obviously. Well, it was like 20 years to do all the research. Research and all and that. Then, right, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. And it's a very, very comprehensive work that's yeah. like really trying to take you through like every single person he knew and all. It just, I can't imagine picking up this book and being like, yeah, I could fucking squeeze this thing into a screenplay. Like well, Pattinson gives him the book. No. No? Pattinson gave him, this is very interesting. Okay. A, uh, so Robert Pattinson, by the way, sounds like a great gift giver because yeah. post-tenant, he gives him um, Oppenheimer's like speeches oh, packaged okay. up together uh, as a rap gift because, uh-huh. of course, in Tenet, they mention yes. the, uh, the, the sort of Oppenheimer's fear that he was about to ignite the uh, atmosphere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, if Pattinson, who just... I swear to God, the sexiest, smartest guy. He, yeah. he said he felt that Tenet's main idea was, what if you could uninvent an awful technology? What if you right. could put toothpaste back in the tube? Right. Because, of course, Tenet is about what if goes backwards. What yes. if? What if thing what goes if. backwards? Right. Yes. And what if friends all along? So he gives mm-hmm. this, of course, he gives this to Nolan, and Nolan's like, oh. And 
then he learns of this book, which has been optioned by Charles Roven because James Woods, the actor, yes. gave it to him. Wait, 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 yes, wait, wait. Yes, that's James Woods. Yes, that James Woods. We, okay, because we saw that credit and assumed it had to be someone. A different nope. James Woods. What? Nope. So, so this was, because Roven was his main producer at Warner Brothers yes. for years. So yes. you mean to tell me that James Woods gets a cut of the box office receipts for this movie? Possibly. I don't, I mean, you know, money, right, money's well, flowing in all kinds of directions. No one should see Oppenheimer. Wait a second. <laughs> Mendes, Sam Mendes had been initially interested in making okay. an Oppenheimer movie. This is set movie. up like early 2000s? Yeah, and yeah. It, Mendes makes sense. Um, the book is uh, 2005? Five, 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 correct. Okay, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this um, book gets put in Nolan's hands mm -hmm. and... It's announced in September 2021 that right. he will write this book. So he yeah. probably wrote this script uh, over write the summer. The movie. Yes. Write this movie. Yeah, direct this. He's going to yeah. write the book. Actually, yeah. he he's like, going to read the book, it. and I'm going to do a better job. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, as, as I said, you know, his his services are up for grabs when Universal sure. gets them. Yeah. Um, but it just, I just, he's put the whole fucking book into this script. Yeah. Which seems like just like a tough job. He said, I'm sure you've read this, Griff. That his famed sort of Howard Hughes book uh, yeah. script, yes, uh, a biopic he wrote like twenty years that ago he that he never to do made. With Jim Carrey. He was going to make right. it with Jim Carrey, and he never made it because of the Aviator. Mm -hmm. But he said like that really taught me how to write a biopic, right? And I'm doing here what I was doing there. Kind he's of. not obviously reusing material, but he's reusing like the way he cracked it, yes. right? Whatever it is, which is very interesting. Yeah, David, let's admit also the major X factor here is. The pandemic, yeah, right? No, You're saying how do you put it together so quickly? But still, he's got like fucking four kids to totally. raise. But we were we were texting with JD and saying like how interesting it is that it feels like uh, Asteroid City, uh, uh, Barbie, and Oppenheimer, three movies by three of our like biggest kind of name brand auteurs we have working today, right? Yeah, or all these like star studded, everyone stuck in the middle of the desert. <laughs> who, who am it's I? True. What am I doing? Sure. What is my life about movies? These weird existential crisis movies that are all kind of about like, I mean, Asteroid City makes it literal that there is a quarantine, you know? Mm -hmm. But all of them are these sort of weird formed intentional bubble societies stranded in the middle of nowhere. And it does feel like all three came out of these people being like, what do I write now? You know, like in this destabilized time. Yeah. And No, for sure. I'm sure I, the end of the world is on his mind in a different way. Yeah. Um, and obviously this film does feel like more current because we've been talking about nuclear war more yes. in recent times because of Russia. Yes, but also all these other, I mean, the way we but talk about also, technology, yes. the way we talk about the tiny decisions made in the lead up to and during the pandemic that had these ripple effects that were so great. I think it is the number one thing this movie is about, which I think is interesting, uh, is like just... The position of being yes. being placed in a position where you have the been given the power to make an incredibly consequential decision mm. under intense pressure mm. and a decision that cannot be undone, right? You saying the the framing of the like uh, the tenant question, like yeah. what if you could undo a bad invention? Mm. And this is the opposite of that movie. This is what do you do after you've done that? Um, right. Um, that's part of what this movie is about. Right. Seems confounding for some. I've seen some 
complaints about the latter like act of this movie don't really understand that but it's you know crucially important yes right. um and obviously it's very important to the biography like because it's a huge part of his life mm -hmm. you know but i think nolan's trying to understand as well i have things to say about this but like you know why did he put himself through this hearing when he knew he was going to lose his security clearance and all that like you know which we can talk about. Yeah, that's it. I think I see, I've seen a lot of readings of this movie that are sort of saying like, well, Nolan relates to Oppenheimer. Nolan is using Oppenheimer as like a surrogate character. And I think it's that he fundamentally is like kind of confused yes. by Oppenheimer as a guy. Better. This is a movie about him trying to crack him. I think it's the whole reason that the narrative is so fractured because his final conclusion is this guy was kind of unknowable, I think, to himself. There's the line Benny Safdie's character has about, like, the great sphinx of modern science or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it, it feels like the only person in this movie who actually knows him is Kitty. To it's, some to degree. Some it feels she at like least she knows his flaws of, and, yeah, his inner turmoil. She has yeah, yeah, him yeah, yeah. read better than he has knows himself. And so much of this story is about, like, you know, this film starts out. I, I keep on when I'm, like— revisiting this movie in my mind, getting ready to talk about it for this episode, the image I keep on going back to mm -hmm. is him in university at, in the first 20 minutes of the movie yeah. when he's lying awake in bed at night and it looks like he's having a nervous breakdown. He's like drenched in sweat and floppy haired and whatever. And he's like seeing these like physics spirals right. over his head. And it's like this movie starts and he's a guy who basically it hurts him to be alive. Yes, he can sort of, that's how Nolan is representing it, right? That he can like see the world in a subatomic way. Right. Right. And and he but that's very function. Big, that's a big part of his biography. Not he, only, he struggled a lot as, right. in his 20s. Not especially. only can he like not function socially Mental engaging health. with other people, yeah. but he also isn't even doing well in classes. His brain is like he, such active chaos that it's like he just feels like a raw nerve of a human being where you're like, well, this guy's not gonna make it to 25. He was and, he was good at theory, bad at lab. Yes. It wasn't good at the practical stuff. Right. Yes. And then you have this this moment, not to jump around, but this all in the first half an hour when he finally meets um, Florence Pugh's character, uh, Tatlock. Gene Tatlock. Um, and he offhandedly mentions that he, like, had years in therapy, right? Yes. That this Apple incident where he attempted to poison a teacher that no one could really totally make sense of. Mm -hmm. It was a malicious act. He said himself, I admired the man greatly. I don't know why I did it, you know? Uh, and that he's come out of therapy on the other side, and he's now basically, like Batman, created this, like, character, mm -hmm. right? At this sure. point, he is, like, a guy who's developed a look, a voice, a style. Part of his thing is being, like, this great unknowable reputation precedes him. Here's this horn dog who chain smokes cigarettes and dresses like a cowboy. Oh, Ask the questions that everyone else is afraid to ask, you yes. know? But it's, like, it's all... It's all like Batman. It's like a suit of armor he's placed around him. It's a persona he's created to try to push his ideas into the world. And that persona is basically like exploited by everyone around him. Uh, everyone uses that to their own ends, you know? He thinks he intimidates everyone else and he, over the course of the movie, realizes that like uh, everyone else can see through the fundamental vulnerability of him. And how that can be manipulated and how we can be used in the ways that benefits them. Uh, Alyssa Wilkinson wrote a really good review of this movie where I think she just kind of pinned it where she said, like, it's ultimately a movie about power and about, like, the fascination of who wields power and how do you get power, right? And the whole, like, Oppenheimer versus Strauss double narrative is one guy who is in pursuit of power as means to an end. 
He just likes the idea of power. He likes the idea of building himself out of dirt and rising to the top of American politics. Sure. To what end? Who fucking knows? He doesn't seem to have anything he really cares about or wants to accomplish. Well, I w- okay, go on. Right? He, go on. Finish your point, and then I can... Oh, Oppenheimer okay. is a guy who has this amazing ability and is, like, all about, like, understanding, right? Mm-hmm. How, how do we, like, create a, uh, create a greater understanding of our world, a greater control of our universe, our power, you know? Exploration, like, expansion, all this sort of stuff. Right. But in order to do that, he needs to accumulate power. He needs to have the power to actually be given the opportunity, the resources, you know, be yeah, granted yeah. the ears to get those things done. And in order to do that, you either need to start making concessions in your own life in order to accrue that power personally at some sacrifice to your humanity usually, or you get in bed with people who wield that power and could throw it over you, and then you give them some control over your life. Sure, sure. I mean, uh, okay, okay, a lot to think about. Yeah, um, yeah. That's my main read. Okay. okay, okay. Well, Louis Strauss is like, he is a figure of small c American conservatism, like, which dominated American culture after the war. And like, he was, his his mentor was Herbert Hoover, who is the king of small c conservatism. Uh, and like, you know, just the idea of like, less government, business is best, this is a thriving nation. We want to encourage that by, you know, you know, not, you know, anti-Rooseveltian sort of, you know, anti-New Deal. Right. Um, and that is the culture that enveloped to me, like, Oppenheimer's creations and whatever, you know, the war, post-war society. Because so much of what happened with nuclear weapons is preventable in Oppenheimer's head, I think. Whether yeah. or not it's true. Like, you know, like he's like, we didn't have to do this. Like, mm-hmm. right. And obviously he feels guilt or responsibility or whatever for creating the thing. But he's also like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know you were going to make a million of them. Like, and maybe I should have. And I feel like Nolan is like seeing Strauss is like, this is the perfect representation of the type of paranoid, egotistical, sort of country first thinking that led us down the road of like, mm-hmm. well, we got to make more. We got to make the bigger one. We got to be ahead always, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, Strauss had like, he's, like he said, he's, you know, he made himself out of nothing. So he saw himself as like an American ideal in that way. Like here I am, Jewish kid, born in poverty. Like, you know, I, right. you know, here and here I am on top of the world. Like that's, that's what we need this country to be. But then it's, what's your skill set? Being on top of the world. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's so, so true. He's good at it, I guess. I don't know. Business! Business! Right. The thing that I latched on to thematically was the uh, the difference between theory and practice. Sure. Which Oppenheimer is a theory guy. He's, theory. he's, he's, he's all theory, the baby. theory guy. Mm-hmm. And what happens when someone who is an ideas person or yes. a creative gets put in a position where they have to make something. Well, not only that. He's handed tremendous power, like you're saying, and like yeah. and um, freedom. Yeah, because we need you right now. Like, and you're the guy who knows how to do this. So you want to build a city in your favorite place on Earth, which is what New Mexico was to him. Right. Fine. Unlimited money. You want all your friends to come here? Great. You guys all want to get together and fucking bandy about ideas? Cool. And then they're like, we think we made a bomb. The military's like, great. Put it in a box. See you later. We'll yeah. call you. Right. Like, and they're like, well, what are you going to do with it? And they're like, we're not having a conversation anymore. Like, you did what you were supposed to do. Right. The most devastating moment in the movie is those bombs getting wheeled off. And you're like, wait a second. Is that it? Like, that's clearly what they're all like, oh, shit. 
Okay, what are you gonna do? Should we? You know, it's amazing. It's amazing yeah. stuff. Like, I, but I it's... don't. I don't think for a second that Nolan is putting himself on the same plane of importance as Robert Oppenheimer. No. He's saying Oppenheimer's of... like the most important person who ever lived, right? right. Yeah, because I... he's like at the focus of this moment. I yes. think the thing he's relating to on a micro micro level is that within his tiny little sphere of just the world of film culture, yeah. right? Which is not incredibly important in the grand scheme of humanity. It's the most important thing in the world. To us, in this room. To everyone, everywhere. Right? It's the most important thing. It's the most important fucking yeah. thing in the world. Uh, but that he has become a guy where the entire industry kind of hangs on his every word. And he understands that any interview he gives, any choice he makes so in his career— So you're saying this is how he relates, sort of. Right. Yeah. It, it does move the winds of the industry, right? I mean, my read on that is he he made something yeah. that then contributed to the right. death— The Dark Knight. Of, well— well, the Dark Knight no, Rises. The, literally, the Dark Knight Rises. The death of oh, twelve I, people. Oh people no, I take it differently. He made the Dark Knight, and it contributed to the death of Sidon. Yeah, but <laughs> I, 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 I know, think but, it's but, all of this. People I, actually died. I think yeah, he has I had. Know. I think and, he has several examples of movies in his career that like fundamentally shifted the culture in one way or another. Right. So you have like the mass shooting at the Dark Knight Rises. You have the Dark Knight being the movie that Hollywood's going to break itself trying to chase and replicate. Right. And then you have Tenet, which is him being like, I wield the power. Everyone listens to me. What I choose to do with this I'll moment. I'll save cinema this right movie, now. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do it. Yeah. Right. And it didn't work. Did it have catastrophic results? No, but it didn't work. He misjudged no. that moment. He did. He, I mean, if he, especially if he was the one pushing, and I think you know a lot of reporting By said he counts. was pushing, like, right. like, no, we can do it this year. We don't need to right. wait. So that's the thing. I think Nolan could very clearly outline to you what he was thinking at every moment, and I think they're pretty moral decisions, reasoned decisions, and all of the steps of his career versus a guy like Oppenheimer, where I think he himself struggles with why he was doing anything at any moment. But I think that's the thing he's relating to is a guy who suddenly put in that position where. You know, is Louis Strauss that different than a studio head, right? The people like Matt Damon who are saying, here you go, we'll give you $6 billion right. and we'll build a town and you assemble your own crew. Is that not unlike, you know, saying, here's your budget, go put together your cast, put together your whatever. And at a certain moment, we're going to put everything you gave us in a crate and we're going to sell it. And if it doesn't work to serve our needs, you're fucking out in the road. You know, we kick you to the dirt. now. Isn't it, though, that as someone who's obsessed with, like, stars exploding, that if you actually want to not just theorize but make the thing, that you don't have a lot of options? Right. I mean, it, it almost would probably come down to exclusively working with the U.S. military. They yes. certainly, yes. There's not really other places that you can go. I mean, there are, go. but in, in, in terms of practical applications. Can I ask you guys a general question? Yeah. How do you feel about science? Love it. What do you mean? Well, like, it's what's cool. your... It's cool. Yeah, but like, did you, how, what science are you into? So I'm, how much I'm bad science at you science. Say? Okay. I didn't get good grades at it. Because yeah. I'm not smart in that way or yeah. i didn't apply myself in that way i'm bad at math me too so i was particularly bad at physics which yes. is very mathy i never took physics i was better at chemistry and although but i but i never did you know i did high school science right my dad loved science and he would read countless books non-fiction books he read all the fucking you know he was obsessed with science so a lot of my like interest mostly i like space like that's where mm -hmm. my science interests i feel like manifests mainly Ben, uh, are you big, a science guy? Big, big. 
I wasn't um, good at it in school, but I, I've always loved science. You sent a pretty radical text uh, yesterday, Ben. Well, okay. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was joking somewhat. <laughs> what was your text? I basically just said, like, I was very surprised to walk away from this movie so th- thrilled and felt like, wow, science is cool. But there's something about this particular time that I think is really just fascinating. It's like so new, all of this, just the discovery of a black hole. Like that's so fucking cool. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Come on. I, and that I you agree. could on I, a piece of paper write down an equation and be like, well, that's I mean, that's where you, that's where I'm lost, but I'm glad they can do it. I mean, I thought that the movie did a good job of not making me feel completely lost by all of the science talk. I think he mostly skims through uh, that, which I'll say, honestly, the book American Prometheus does too. The book is not really about science. Right. It's more about this man and his youth, you know, as an anxious student and Mm -hmm. then his young manhood as a sort of quasi-communist or a fellow traveler, sure. like who he knew and the whole sort of Berkeley scene of scientists and all that. And then the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the aftermath of like celebrity scientists and then, you know, uh, being dragged in the public square. And so, you know. Yeah. And also just that he constantly was fucking uh, well, left and uh, right. Important. If I can just read Ben's text verbatim. It was, I'm very surprised to report that I think being a scientist was cool at one time. <laughs> so not now? I don't know about now. Okay. And then They his, might be up to some cool stuff. They might then, be up to some cool stuff for sure. I'm his, sure people are. His follow-up text was, and being a doll is a weird job. Well, that was a re-Barbie. Re-Barbie. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, like Ben, you know, if you went to like CERN, would that be cool? Uh, you know, over in uh, Switzerland. What I don't even know what that is. Uh, it's the uh, uh, Center the, for Nuclear Research. The um, particle. It's where they have particle accelerators, yeah. like mile long tunnels that they like shoot atoms. Well, right, because at they other. did that sort of uh, thing recently that I feel like, unfortunately, the owner of X was involved with in some way. Do you know what I'm talking about? That where thing did... where he rebranded Twitter as X, and it's cool, and we all like it, and we're gonna make it a bank. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Though it was like some sort of new form of center. Fuge in some uh, this, way. Uh, it's the Large Hadron Collider, I believe, yes. is what you're talking about, probably. Yes, I and they think they so. found they're trying to find quote unquote the God particle. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think yeah, Mr. Musk probably cares about that. I don't care about him though. So Until I Christopher think he's Nolan an movie, he's though. an uncool scientist. I mean, it is very cool to think of like people in the 1920s, like Albert Einstein, mm-hmm. writing down like the way gravity works if you extrapolate it, suggests that the thing in the center of our galaxy is a big black hole that's so heavy, nothing can escape from it. Mm -hmm. I just figured this out through math. And then like a hundred years later, we're like, we can see the black hole. Yeah, He was right. He was right. He wrote that down on a piece of paper, but he was totally right. That's cool. Yeah, but it's just hard as a kid to be like, what are you talking about? Like the equations new, like, you know, like, you know, it's hard to, to represent. And this movie does do a good job representing but the theory in that way of like, if you want to make a a big, shiny movie at a certain level, you need to get in bed with these companies that we're increasingly finding are pretty fucking. <laughs> Griff is dragging it back evil. to the movie metaphor. No, 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 no. Because I think this is what to Ben's point. It's like if you want to make those breakthroughs, if you want to come to some greater understanding of the universe we live in and what is possible and how to harness it, 
you're probably going to have to do it for the military and turn it into a weapon. Or you're probably going to have to do it for Mr. X, you know, who's doing it for whatever ends. It's like it's these central questions of like, you know, and so it's a lot of the, uh, you know, on a much smaller scale, the the wind rises thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Yeah, this is very, this, this has a bit of a wind rises vibe. Right. Like, um, for how sure. are you going to get your money to make your thing? How are you going to get your support to make but, your thing? And if, if you are letting someone else give you that, then what are you giving them in return? And what are you sacrificing? And what are you handing off? What control are you losing? There's a difference between this and the wind rises. As there's there a difference between Oppenheimer and the protagonist, the wind rises, yes. who is sort of quasi fictional, yeah. quasi real. But in the wind rises, he's truly like, I just wanted to make something beautiful. Right, right, you know, like, whereas this is like Oppenheimer knew what he's doing. Absolutely. Yeah. He hears about people splitting atoms and he's like, that could be used to make a bomb. He also yes. hears about what's happening to the Jews in Europe. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but I mean, and, and Nolan has acknowledged this because Nolan's been hitting this kind of like he's the most important person who ever right. lived, right? Yeah. Nolan's acknowledged like, look, if Oppenheimer didn't exist, someone else would have thought to make an atom right. bomb. It's not like he well, was Well, yeah, the no, they have one, that line like, in the movie that's like, what are you thinking? Oh, what every other every, scientist everyone, is Everyone right had now. the same concept of, yes, right. you can create make this gigantic energy reaction. Right, because not only does he find out about splitting the atom and he go, oh, you could use this to make a bomb. His first thought is they are going to use this to make a bomb. So when you're right? reading- It's all from this defensive posture of like, now we know what's possible. Who's Someone's going to be the first. one to? Well, it's do fascinating it. that Einstein and one other scientist wrote that letter. Right. So it's the you're referring to the Einstein, I believe, Sislard is the other uh, Leo Sislard, the other scientist. But yes, they were both like we just were in Germany right. not too long ago. We know who's over there, and we're worried that they will develop atom bombs. We mm-hmm. need to do yeah. a nuclear program. Right. Um. Uh, when you read American Prometheus, you keep waiting for, and then they all sat down and were like, but, you know, what would the consequences be of us making this thing? And they don't really mm-hmm. until afterwards. Yeah. I think it's because there's it, like, I. Because they were in, they were like, we have to beat the Nazis. Well, and they were invigorated by yes. like, we're creating, we're discovering. And also like, people at the time just dump stuff into the river. And they you know what? Really people did it. be dumping stuff. No, no, no. Yeah. But I'm just like. You're wondering, like, when will they grapple with this? And you're sort of realizing as you're reading it, like, no, they had no time or whatever. They were just pushing it off. They weren't really. And, of course, they're also thinking about it more as, like, against the Nazis. Like, okay, we'll be, you know, blowing up a Nazi fucking military base. And they're all theoretical physicists. They're all they're all scientists. They're not in the military. But theoretical is the big but yeah, thing. Yeah, where it's, mm, it's they in are their heads. They don't know right. what yes. it Let's actually extrapolate. means. Where does this go? Right? Well, Hartnett, yeah. Hartnett, right. Hartnett, Hartnett be practical. Sure. Hartnett be practical. I, I just kept but, yeah. thinking throughout this movie about that exit interview the guy did who was, what, the head of AI for Google and stepped down and wrote this letter that was like, we should all stop right. exploring this. And right. he basically said, I got hired onto this job and I thought, yeah, AI is probably the thing that will lead to our downfall in 80 years. And then f- through working on this for five years, I realized, oh, maybe it's more like 10. And you're like, well, that's the whole thing right there, that he was exploring a field that he thought would probably be destructive ultimately. But the destruction for him was much further off and much more abstract in the process of working on it only too late possibly did he then recognize, oh, this feels immediate I have pushed something along to a point I no longer feel comfortable with, and now toothpaste out of the tube, can't put well, it back in. I can write a letter and tell people to stop, but they're not going to. What a, well, what a lot of people want to happen with AI 
is what Oppenheimer wanted to happen with nuclear weapons, where he's basically like, we have to hand this over to an international, yeah, like, right. you know, multi-country committee that's in charge of stuff that will stop stuff from going wrong. Right. right. And that may well happen with AI or may not, you know, who knows? but like, um, you know, that was his sort of plea post-war is like, let the United Nations take charge of this. Like, yeah. you know, nuclear power could be used for good, blah, blah, blah. You know, no one listened to him or whatever. People listened to him, but, you know. Right. That's why, obviously, he was railroaded and he silenced. was eventually railroaded, and that's why Clint Eastwood actually directed this movie. Yeah. Um, but what, um, it's it's got both. And yeah, I was this is a this, great, great take Griffin had to, to yeah. Marie and Marie's David. Mm. Um, yes, my David. The better David. Yes. No, he's a good David. I mean, he's my favorite David, exactly. but yeah. Um, I'm better than Ehrlich. I keep fucking drive buying Ehrlich. I, love I know you, it's been a rough couple of weeks for him on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I love you, David. <laughs> we love David Ehrlich. And uh, play the Becker theme song for two seconds. David. <laughs> no, yes. two. Come two. on, two. No, I refuse. Two. Gronson's uh, score very inspired by the Becker theme. Absolutely yes. wrong. Yes. What was your take? Your Clint Clint related? Danson would have fit perfectly into this movie. Let's say <laughs> oh, he would have. Oh, he would. Of course, put him right where Modine is. Yeah. 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 Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have been the, the James Remar part. Did Becker wear a bow tie? He, no, no, Becker good place doesn't. Guy. But yeah, he wears a bow tie later yeah. in Good Place. Becker okay. never wears a Becker Becker's wore, fucking unbuttoned. Maybe he had a tie. I don't think he had Damn a it, tie. I've been fucking brought it yeah, up. Yeah, you did. Shit. Fuck you. What I was going to say, uh-huh. I was saying to yes. Maurice David on the escalator down, he has pulled off the rare double late period Eastwood narrative. Which, David, we always joke on this podcast. Yes, there's two kinds of Eastwood narratives. This guy was railroaded or I'm guilty, send me to jail. Yeah. Me, personally. Right. right. And this is a right. movie about a guy getting railroaded. And when you go into his mind, he's like, I'm guilty, send me to jail. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So. Basically. A hundred percent. They did him wrong, but also he's like, I'm fucking garbage the, and I'll never get yes, over just this. Just to get to the last thing in the movie. Yeah. Just to say it right now. You know, sure. There's this big moment in the movie where Jason Clark is basically like lambasting him and almost everything in the scenes with Jason Clark out the, the, the um, hearing yeah mm-hmm. it, that's just what you're the dialogue is just the actual words that were said sure it's right from the record all They're, of it I, I just yeah wanted, including yeah. the kitty disses about his yeah. grammar oh yeah she fucking throws down she she does absolutely I don't like him. your phrase <laughs> um but um, but I can I just quickly ask you because you read the book mm. Uh, there was one plot hole Who I did? could not. David. D- David. Oh, okay. David Sims read American Prometheus. I did. There was one plot hole I could not get my head around. What's that? At what moment in time did Oppenheimer fuck Jason Clark's wife? No, no. Jason Clark is there because I know he fucks a lot of women look, who are married. Obviously, Jason Clark and plays Jason a lot Clark of cucks. hates him, and he plays a lot of cucks. But he was waiting wit- for he the connective witnesses tissue. a cucking metaphorically. It just felt like it was personal for Clark, where there must have been. I just think it's like Clark, Clark is cucking. like, "Am I going to play a cuck?" And no one's like, "Damn it!" No one's like, what? "I wanted to write down cuck on an in a, in a piece of paper and seal it in wow. an envelope." Should have done that. Damn it! No, but like you know, like no Nolan probably approaches. Jason Clark. Yeah. Oh, would you like to be in my film? Here's right. the script. And, and like, Clark's like flipping through it and he's like, Where who's who cucks me? Yeah. I don't understand. And no one's like, um, well, I don't know what you, Wait, you know, what come on, come on. Mean? I always get cucked in the movie. Yeah. You know, my wife cheats on me. Come on. Right. And no one's like, No, you're there to to investigate a cucking, you know, <laughs> like it's <laughs> you, you'll be methodically <laughs> going <laughs> step by step. What world of a cucking. <laughs> a famous <laughs> cuckage. Yeah. Um, Several, actually. Yeah. Yes. I forget. Did you guys do this Nolan voice on the Nolan series? No, this is new. So. This, this is new. This is new. He ha- I've been watching a lot of him recently. Your character is a low T beta male, but <laughs> he does not get cocked on camera. He is a bit of a soy boy. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, what the hell was I talking? I completely <laughs> lost my train of the thought. Chad Oppenheimer. Co- yeah. No, you wanted to talk about the last bit of the movie, oh, Jason oh, Clark. You know, and Clark is yes. reaming him out for essentially like, don't why? Why didn't you say anything then? If right. you're so fucking guilty now, yes. if you're, you know, like, then why didn't you see it? And it's this moment where Oppenheimer doesn't, he has his answer, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really have an answer. And, the, you know, Nolan starts to do the thing he does several times in the movie where you can hear, like, you know, noises in his head of the yeah. bombing and all that. Mm-hmm. This Very movie's basically moment. wall-to-wall music other than five moments where Scores it cuts out and goes blank. Incredible. He builds it up to such a fever pitch that when he pulls it out, it, it really shocks you. And that's the one... That's one of the moments for yes. right. Yeah. Right. Um, but and then later, Kitty, you know, says, you know, speaks a lot. Is like, did you, you know, submit yourself to that because you wanted, you know, yeah, someone to call you out essentially? And I, you know, it's American Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Nolan opens the title with a title card. Opens the film with a title card explaining the myth of Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Like this is his Promethean torture. Yes, he is like, you know, he's putting himself through this. Is Nolan's take, right? You know, as a form of torture because he, you know, he feels he deserves it. Yeah, and, and Kitty basically says to him later, like, this isn't going to accomplish right. anything. This is, and it's like that's to him. It's like I know I just need to suffer. Yes. Like I have decided I need to suffer, I'll, and this is the only way right. I know how. One now of, that's a metaphorical take that absolutely. Nolan has. You right. Know, like one of the scenes I, I keep going back to Prometheus. I, by you know, was chained to a rock, and they, you know, bird would tear out his liver every day. Because he Cause gave he, fire yeah. to humans, right, which right. is, you know, no, you know, Oppenheimer right. gave us fire, yes. right? You know. Yes. It's kind of an important thing. Fire. Fire. Very Huge. useful. Yeah, but also pretty quickly turned to a weapon. No, what do you mean? You make s'mores with it? That's what Prometheus is. is yeah. <laughs> this is for s'more making only. <laughs> That's what Oppenheimer did, too. So we've created the bomb, but please only put s'mores on The idea it. is to make so many s'mores yes. at once you could yes. feed the world. <laughs> the world's largest campfire. <laughs> Uh, it's hard not. I'm trying to figure out what differentiates the Oppenheimer impression from, from what from uh, a fucking Daniel Plainview. <laughs> I have a what does he say? In, uh, I have a competition in me. Yes. What if Oppenheimer yeah. said that about the Nazis? Yeah. Um, what I was going to say. What were you going? A to scene I keep on going back to because there, there are a couple scenes in this movie where I'm like, that's the whole movie right there. This is the whole central tension when they blow up he's the atom bomb? with. That one is important. It's quite powerful. Um, no, the scene where uh, Oppenheimer rides up on his horse in his long trench coat with his flat hat. He looks like a fucking cowboy, right? Mm-hmm. He's created this like David's finger <laughs> is going up, which I think is a tiny bit inappropriate. He rides by in the rain, but it's like it's like a, it looks like a fucking unforgiven shot or something, sure. right? And then he sees the flyer basically for like what is going to be the equivalent of a communist meeting amongst all yes, the scientists. At, within Los, Los Alamos. Alamos. Right, right. right. This within thing Project that, This whole movie, this yes. guy's had this uncomfortable position of like, he wants to be on the right side of history, right? And it's such a confusing time where it's like, what's the greater threat? Is it fascism? Is it communism? Is it neither? Is it both? He seems pretty concrete on the fact that fascism's bad. No, I think he was a fairly left-wing guy. It's just yes. that he didn't have the super conviction in the way you know, when Hartnett's like you better stop this shit if you want to run the Manhattan Project right. he's like great stopped I'll stop totally. I'll stop you know like and I do think he did not so not, he, not in know, a, an intellectually dishonest way but I do think the early part of the movie he truly is like I'm asking questions he, I agree he, that there's stuff that's not right and I'm trying to figure bodies. out he what side I'm supposed to be on he money to the right people totally. he was he was a good right. 
you know, left. But the Spanish yes. Civil War thing, he was just, it feels like he's like, well, these people are clearly suffering. Help. Yeah. I'm not even getting invested in the larger part of this other than there are people I could give my money to who could use it right now, right? And he's constantly like, well, but don't do too much. Don't be too loud. Might get in the way of your career. You got to pick and choose, you know, all this stuff. He's trying to apply strategy to all this shit, right? He sees this sign. He's gotten punished before in his life for engaging in these conversations, for going to these meetings, these parties, too much. He's basically just got out in time to still have a career, right? So he mm -hmm. sees this sign, and he goes in there, and you're like, how is he going to play this? Right. Is this going to be like, don't, into a meeting, don't you dare jeopardize this? Right, right, Is right, he right. going to be, uh, is he going to consider their points, right? Because they're saying, like, for the first moment, let's step back and question, is this bad if we let this happen? right. And you watch him play it, and I sort of expected the scene to play out of him being like, look, this is my job now. I'm in charge right. of this. You We're too deep in. Right. I need to just throw the spin that it will take to convince them to settle them down. And he makes an argument that I think he genuinely largely believes. Yeah. Where he's like, we need to do this once so it will never happen again. Right? This thing that was often said about like the That was bomb. his his line a lot of the time, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And Which I, is like sort of true until it's not true. But, but he totally. also was constantly reminding everyone that we're scientists, we build it, but we don't get right. to we choose don't, what to do The military makes it. whatever decision the military totally. makes. He has this passive, like, you know, maybe somewhat, you know, uh, simplistic thing mm -hmm. of like, right. hey, we're just making an invention. But yeah. This thing that comes up a lot in society where it's like, look, if I don't do X, then someone, not X, now I can't use that fucking you letter. You can. He doesn't own a letter. If I don't do Y, uh -huh. someone else will do it. Elon Musk has bought Y. If I don't do Y, someone else will do it. They'll hire someone else to do it, right? And maybe that person has less scruples than I do. Maybe it's better for me to get into that room and I can at least try direct a thing that's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. Into a slightly better direction. But then, like, what's one of the most powerful scenes in the movie? It's when he's in the room, as he was, yep. while they're picking targets. Yeah. And James Remar, you know, coming in and look, he didn't, he doesn't actually whip out his dick like he did on Sex in the City. God, God bless him. Mm -hmm. Great does, moment for, he for shows? He sure does. Yes, wow. he does. Uh, it's a great moment in Sex in the City. Uh, in this, you know what his name is on Sex in the City? What? Richard. Um... But uh, he's, uh, you know, he's playing the, I believe he's playing the Secretary of Defense. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he has that sort of chilling thing, which apparently Remar found out himself and took to yes. Nolan. Right. Of like, this guy actually honeymooned in Kyoto. He would not want to. So he wouldn't want right. to bomb it. Yeah. So he's like, oh, so let's cross Kyoto off the, you know, like in this way where yeah. you're like, so, Jesus Christ. Right. And Oppenheimer's he, basically just like a fucking, you know, ham sandwich in there. He basically he's says. He's Jewish. He's, he's a yeah. bologna sandwich. No, but Turkey he says sandwich. like uh, uh, 12 options, strike that, make that 11. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know why he's striking one, and you're just like, I guess he's going to move on from it. And then mm -hmm. he sort of pulls his glasses down and like, like offers cultural significance. I, my wife and I honeymoon there, and yeah. everyone in the room laughs. And both they times, titter. yeah, uh, we've seen the movie. You hear the audience like suck in the breath and go like, oh, it's horrible. Shit. Yeah, right. Um, you know, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, and and like yeah, and Oppenheimer is you know. Uh, not applying any muscle in that room, obviously. And people are throwing out the question of, like, is it good to give a warning so that the civilians can yes, leave? Right. And they're like, well, if you warn them, like, that question is disregarded within Same five with, like, seconds. why don't we just blow this up in a, you know, non, you know, like, right. just to show how it works and so they'll know or whatever. That's like, so much of, I think, genuinely, I, I, not, I, I, look, I don't think this movie is trying to exonerate Oppenheimer, and I don't think he's no. innocent, right? Right. Like, uh, he is a, a deeply conflicted He's investigating man. a complicated, inconsequential Beyond. figure in history. 
scary. That right. is what the film is Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Yes. But I think there is that part of him that at moments genuinely believes if the test goes well, they won't ever have to do it again. Right, because they'll be so impressed by the, the force of this thing. Right. But he doesn't understand anything, and his knowledge of diplomacy is obviously just so basic. Yeah. And he's kind of saying to Groves, like, can we tell the Soviets now? Yeah. You know, can we tell? And he's like, yeah, sure. And they tell Ed Potsdam basically what happened was Truman said to Stalin, like, well, we got like a really big bomb. And Stalin was like, uh-huh. well, hope you use it against the Japanese. And what we now know is that Stalin already knew. Yeah. As this is revealed in it, you know, like that Stalin was getting info from Los Alamos. Yes. So we didn't have to tell him. But like, no. I think Oppenheimer's clearly hoping like, yeah, we'll tell Stalin and everyone will be like, oh, okay, great. Back off. Let's not use those though. Right. Let's just talk about it. Right, but when Oppenheimer's in a room like that, his whole fucking, like, kind of play-acting, what do they call it, the great salesman of science, this persona he's built completely crumbles in a room with guys who wield actual power. Not the power of intellect, of actual decision-making, of knowledge. The the ultimate superpower of guys like this are they're incredible strategic thinkers and they don't give a fuck, right? They are just so confident in everything they say at every moment. They are not internally conflicted. In the same way that James Remar is just like, I'm very, I am happy to within the next two minutes pick which place we are going to decimate. This is a decision we can make quickly before lunch. By the way, I'm removing the one place that means a little something to me. You know, it's all just like, look, let's just get this done with. (sighs) <sighs> it's devastating, devastating shit. Can we talk about some of the other actors in the movie? Yes. That we have not yet mentioned. Who have we not mentioned? Uh, David Crumholtz. Oh, Crumb, man. Sort Crumby of Crumb. the closest thing the movie has to like a oh, conscience David, character. Uh, you should eat something here. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thanks, Ben, for giving us all sort oranges. sort of walking bubby. Yeah, Ben had a list of bits he thought of doing for this episode and wisely said we shouldn't do. One was uh, wearing goggles the whole episode. Mm-hmm, like Benny Safdie. One was every 30 minutes uh, taking out a handkerchief and giving you an orange slice, David. That was <laughs> a bit he thought. That actually sounds like something that should happen on every episode. Thought about nice. David, you should eat something. Yeah, eat something, David. Yeah. The whole thing about uh, he plays uh, Isidore Robbie. Yeah. That guy fucking invented the microwave. That's the funniest thing about right. like a lot of these. You like click on them and you're like, so who was this guy? Yeah. He's like, invented the fucking microwave. You like the microwave? Yeah. That's that, that dude. That guy. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, speaking of the real the MRI, the MRI. The real people I hate the MRI. in this well, movie. Also, you know, but it means he invented the best set piece in Insidious Five. Carry on. Go ahead. Oh Jesus. <laughs> set inside an MRI. Okay, really cool, cool set piece. Cool. Um uh to prepare for Oppenheimer, I watched The Day After Trinity, yes. which is available on Criterion Channel. Mm-hmm. Uh if you have not seen it, you should check it out. It's really interesting. Uh they have interviews with um I. I. Robbie. Um, and they also have interviews with, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Uh, the guy, Michael Angerano, Robert Serber. Uh-huh. Right. And I, it's funny because Angerano is doing a voice. And you and I walking out the yeah. first time were like, I guess he I, just. I'm going to admit that Angerano is one of the few. I did not totally clock him in this movie. I'll, I'll watch for him next time. Okay. Well, he's, he's the one who like. Talks with a lisp. He like sounds oh, like Daffy sure. Duck. Yes, right. Uh, and, but and, that's literally how right. the guy sounds. Right, Marie. You were like, I guess he just came up with like a thing so that he'd stand out from the other guys. Yeah. And then you watched this movie and you were like, Oh no, Griffin, that uh, voice is one hundred percent accurate. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, All right, who else? Who else? Oh, who do we need? Else do we need? We haven't really talked about we Florence Pugh. Uh, yeah, this movie has a large cast. Oh, so it. I saw Oppenheimer before my fiance David did, mm-hmm. and he's a big 
Oppenheimer guy. He too, like David Sims, has read American Prometheus and uh, has a framed photo of J. Robert Oppenheimer in his office. I which do not is, have a framed photo of J. Robert Which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sees him as a tragic hero. Uh, but uh, it was so hard for me to keep from him sure. for Some... five days that I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Is red to boobs? Is red to boobs. <laughs> is red to Florence Pugh as she is mounting him sure. and putting his penis inside of her. Well, yeah. That is a crazy a great choice. way to read Sanskrit. I mean, I guess. Well, but like, it's kind of hot. This yeah. guy's attitude towards sex does seem so wrapped up in like death and yes. gloom. Yes. Like, and he, like, especially in the book, you really get the sense of this guy of like, I mean, it's why you can met, you can picture Nolan picking this book up and it's like Oppenheimer, reedy, blue, Piercing eyes, yeah. strange aloof energy, yeah. kind of weird, equally hot, hot and terrifying. And right. Nolan just going like, oh, "What's Killian's number?" Like right. you know, yeah. like this guy just screams, scrolling through his flip phone, <laughs> yeah, right. one yeah. button click at a time I mean, until he gets down. We to haven't the really seas. talked about Killian yet. We'll talk about. It. We'll talk about. Um, but uh, you know, like I think, like as much as this guy was a Randy boy who mm -hmm. was who was sleeping with lots of people and often sleeping with married women, yeah. The, of his his friends' wives right. and things like that, like it feels like there's this kind of like dark compulsion to it. And Jean Tatlock, who really could have a whole goddamn movie written about herself because she's so fascinating, mm -hmm. is like the most sort of destructive, you know, and uh, in intense figure mm -hmm. in his romantic life. Yes, and her death was so uh, powerful for him and mysterious in its own right. So speaking of her death. Yes. So the, the, Florence Pugh plays this character in the film. She's really in like four scenes. Yeah. I would say she gets short shrift in a way, but like the film is also so packed. A lot I don't of, yeah. really know how it's supposed to balance she makes, everything. She makes, she makes an a impression. very big impression. Yes. Um, so I only really caught this the second time Yes. I saw it, Humble Brag. The rubber gloves. The rubber gloves. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. So, it's, to me... Very reminiscent. So this film is very reminiscent of Memento to me in many ways. Yeah. But the flashbacks in Memento, the frenzied kind of violence where you don't right. really know what's going on, very similar to her death, where which she didn't witness and right. was reported as suicide. But yeah. then you see a flash of a glove at one point because maybe she was murdered by the government. You don't know. Yeah. She was a communist with ties to Oppenheimer, who is like, you know, seen as like a very unstable figure. I yeah. also think this movie is very similar to Memento thematically in it being about a guy who doesn't really know who he is yeah. and doesn't really have a comfortable grasp on reality. I also, look, I mean, when Memento came out and Christopher Nolan was just a cute nobody who'd made yeah. a little movie at Sundance. And cute was the main word everyone He's fucking cute. Uh, I think he's still cute. He's still cute. But he looks know, good. You watch those interviews with him around Memento time and you're like, he's a dashing young man, sure. you know? And, he's, and he talks about like how he presents the film and mm -hmm. the color segments in Memento are subjective. Yep. They're from the perspective of um, Leonard. Yes. And they, uh, you're entirely inside his head, which is what the color segments of Oppenheimer are. You're well, with Oppenheimer. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. You're in, perceiving in, in, it as yes. Oppenheimer perceives it. Yes. And then the uh, black and white in Memento is uh, objective. Right. Uh, and there's a narrator 
you know, and, you know, it's more like sort of traditional filming noir. It's, it's the Tobolowski, Thomas Lyons no, stuff. No, no, no. And... Well, there's that, but no, no. There's there's two, you know, how Memento flows, where it bounces uh, sure, between, sure. you know, and in the black and white segments, it's like Leonard being like in voiceover, like you wake up in a room, you don't know who you are, here are the rules right. of how I work, right? Mm-hmm. And in the color sequences, you're in Leonard's head. Yeah. Oppenheimer has the same gimmick. The black and white stuff, like right. with Strauss, that's not from Strauss's perspective. Like we're we're much more in like a, a classic documentary type perspective. I think it is from Strauss's perspective. No. Because like Strauss is an unknowable figure at first, and you're watching the movie and you're like, yeah, you know, this guy is sort of like, yeah, I don't know what happened. Like, you know, I don't know who like r- r- rolled the well, bus. Right. No, but that's They're, my take is you know you like, think you're watching objective and then you find out in fact it is subjective. It's just a different person no, subjective. No, no, by subjective, I mean, you're not in Strauss's head. You're watching someone watch Strauss. You're watching people investigate Strauss, and we're understanding him. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he has also. I'm just repeating Nolan's. I line. know. I know. I just felt like the way he was framing it was maybe to try to obscure the the sort of narrative twist of the film what that strauss was a bad dude that that you're seeing a very uh uh weighted account of events based on this guy trying to manipulate uh history to his advantage sure but like like the sort of this like <sighs> i would well whatever we don't need to like nip yeah, no, about we this, don't. But, like the strauss stuff is peppered into the film pretty early, right? We're we're, we're yeah. cutting to it. He's basically pretty much he right sets away. up like four different narratives mm-hmm. from the beginning, which is the Strauss hearing, the Oppenheimer hearing, the sort of uh, and Oppenheimer's like life, like yes. so more straightforward life. What's right. the really, fourth? Is it just? Yeah, I, think it's just I guess the, you're sort of well, connection to Einstein. I think that's a really important element too. That's yeah. I I'd say for the first chunk of it, especially, you're sort of engaging with Oppenheimer in a couple different time periods at once. Yeah, it's the, yeah. The, you're cutting between you know pre-war and post-war. Right, right? but there's there's basically three main. But things. then, the, but then yeah. there's these black and white things, which is like Strauss. Alden Ehrenreich. Uh, yeah. Who's the other guy? Scott Grimes in there, maybe? Is that is that who it is? I don't think Scott's Scott The other Grimes guy? No. Scott Grimes is in this film. I just don't know who he played. There's another okay. guy in there. Yes. Where they're like prepping for his Strauss's oh. Secretary of Commerce hearing. Yes. yes, I think you're right. I yeah. think it is. Um, and, you know, he's getting a little anxious of like, are they going to bring up this Oppenheimer stuff? And so yeah. and they're sort of talking through like, what happened there? Right. right. And so the first part of these segments... You're like are the, more expositional. It's more Strauss yes. just kind of being like, well, you know, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Like, you right. know, it's this is kind was. of off the record, him just explaining right. what we think in good faith his interpretation of the events were. And as it goes on, you know, this is the thing that's not in the book. This is not an American Prometheus right. at all. Like, the American Prometheus mentions, yes, Strauss did eventually. He talks about Strauss a lot. Yeah. And that he eventually got shot down, you know, by uh, sure. the uh, Senate. Later, as yeah. revenge, basically, for yeah. him fucking over Oppenheimer. But this is all imagined. Yes. The stuff that's in the Senate uh, hearing is real, but this behind-the-scenes stuff is sort of like trying to give you an idea of Strauss, I think. Like we said, yeah. this personality. And, and the this... framing of, of him as Oppenheimer's uh, sort of shadow is not a thing that the book is it's, really foregrounded. The book is certainly, you know, yeah. Like they, Oppenheimer really pissed that guy off. Yeah. Because Oppenheimer was this arrogant, super charming in a way, you know, science celebrity. Charismatic. He was certainly compelling. And Strauss yeah. was this dilettante. He's not a scientist, but he was right. in charge of the Atomic Energy Commission. And, right. and, and Oppenheimer would kind of like playfully like slap him down in private yeah. and in public. Right. And it like builds this resentment, but it's on one side. 
Oppenheimer's I, yes. just like, I don't know, what? You know, where Strauss is like, that fucking guy right. won't stop needling me, won't stop thinking he's smarter than me. Yeah. Right. And it's such a great performance by Downey when he finally like unravels at the end in this yeah. like seething yeah. monologue. It was, I was telling Griffin, it was fun seeing Oppenheimer so soon after rewatching Old Boy sure. because like the reveal of the like, revenge plot that is all in one guy's head that the other guy doesn't the other really, guy's like huh i don't even yeah. think right. about you yeah. right. <laughs> right right and and the, right. the the cleverness of that einstein where he's like what do you fucking tell einstein yeah. he's poison him against me they, they, they don't care about you. aaron wreck like nails that moment to them so he does hard. great job by alden right have you ever considered that maybe they were talking about something more important that day and they were literally talking about the fact that the atomic bomb might have blew up the world right, right. which is yeah what, what's so i mean I, I i was about to say funny but what i think is so interesting is it, you see that event three times right you basically perceive from a distance from from strauss's distance oppenheimer and einstein having this very quick conversation that einstein walks away from looking completely despondent right einstein looks like a world away right yes. and strauss strews on this as oppenheimer said something to turn einstein against me because when i walked over and he was walking away he refused to acknowledge he, me he gave me the he must have been shit talking yeah, he right my ass. and my read on it was like, I bet you're going to find out that Oppenheimer said something that was dismissive to Einstein. Sure, he pissed off Einstein That he was well. disrespectful right, yeah. to Einstein on a personal level. He dunks on him a couple of times. He does, right. So I was like, that's what you're going to find out is he says something really cutting to Einstein. Instead, no, he says the most cutting thing imaginable. About himself maybe, and the world. We maybe yes. fucked up the world and humanity yeah. beyond And repair. also, Einstein Might says have. something completely devastating I think we have. Him. He says it as a definite statement, yes. That that all of the, you know, you can be as much of a masochist as you want and people will forgive you and they'll give you a plaque, but well, it, won't be for, right. it won't be for you, it'll be for them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and the that end. is that's so good. And devastating. Also, also, it's like, he is equally uncomfortable with both outcomes. Yeah. He hates being vilified and he hates being honored, right? Right. This guy is ruined. He is ruined, understandably, because he did a fucking thing. That's right. That I you mean, don't he move cannot unshoulder himself. No. Or like, you know, yeah. Nor should he. But it's like he's in both scenarios, he looks as unhappy when he's in the fucking White House being handed that giant trophy and right. metal. John, Johnson his gave him the Fermi Price. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He looks miserable then as he yeah. does. Well, I mean, it's right. it's what might be the big scene in the movie is his speech he gives after <sighs> right. It's such a power. After the test. Yeah. I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of big scenes in this movie, but the first two hours are this race, yes. right? Where the movie never lets up. And it's almost like a heist movie of like, can they pull this let's off? Get yeah. Let's get the guys. Let's get the together. Matt Damon and, on the train. And right. like, you know, I think it's crucial that the movie is moving so fast because you need the sense of like no one is slowing down to think about right. what they're doing. Bill right. Then of course exactly. basically put it as like it's the movie is basically like a three hour montage, right? right. And then like once every forty minutes it grinds to a halt right. in a way that gives you whiplash, and then it starts up again and builds up steam the same way. Um, and then there's the test itself, which you know we can talk about more, but like is is a very arresting sequence sure. and then right after the test like you say he gives this speech which is a real speech he gave yeah. to the assembled people of los alamos right. who are cheering after they yeah. even after the stuff about Hiroshima. like the, if only we'd done it, it to the, the germans, germans and and everyone's yeah. cheering but I then feel like, the japanese didn't like it but the sound cuts out so all you can hear basically are you don't hear their cheering yeah you hear their chairs squeaking you hear when they stand up I was losing my mind yes. during yeah. the scene. I was truly, it really, 
you know, had a big effect. And when you cut to the Oppenheimer close-ups, the world is like vibrating around him, like the early scenes where he kind of can't process what he's able to see on a scientific level, right? (sighs) And it's this thing of like, when he's trying to be solemn, he feels uncomfortable. When he's trying to like uh, affect this sort of like, we did it, rah-rah kind of like uh, sensationalism in this speech, uh, he feels uncomfortable. He's scanning over the crowd. He feels equally haunted by the people who are crying, the people who are laughing. There are teenagers basically under the bleachers making out as if it was like after a fucking high school football game. We see a woman's skin Well, that's in his face, in his head. He's imagining for the first time what it must have felt like on the ground. But like what he's literally seeing is uh, cheering, screaming, laughing, crying, making out, vomiting, oh, and yeah. all of it is and equally the, and disturbing the, the, to him. You know the um, the stomping, the, the stomping, the, right. the, the you know the the noise of that. Basically, all you're hearing are their feet, right? You hear when they stand up, you hear when they stomp, you hear when they like shift around in their chairs, and that's the only sound effect he's hearing. Am I wrong that we also kind of hear sounds of war and people yeah, screaming? You're, you're yeah. It's like yeah. such he, an onslaught because obviously. We don't see the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in this film. We yeah. don't see, you know, footage because he wouldn't have seen footage. He right. hears about it on the radio. Right. There's one sequence, which is how he would have heard about it. Yeah. There's one sequence where there's like a slideshow. Yeah, it's on Yorano's so character. The Angorano's right? character yeah. goes to Nagasaki right. in Hiroshima and takes pictures. Takes pictures, yes. talks to the victims of the bomb, but and brings back evidence. As like an anthropological of what the bomb did. study, right. like almost dispassionately. But, yeah. but yeah. like uh, you can see the Oppenheimer can't even look at it. Yeah. Like, you know, he's struggling to even look at the Those photos are really Yeah, disturbing. they're insane, obviously. Yeah. It's, it's a completely so insane thing that right. we did. And, uh, you know, people argue is this movie uh, insensitive by not actually showing us these things by putting it so much in the, uh, the headspace of this one man? Right. right. Uh, uh, to, to not actually grab with how terrifying the reality of this imagery was doesn't really make the full weight of the consequence land in people's minds. I think these are photos that exist out there, have existed for many, many yeah. decades. These are stories that have been covered in many different mediums. Uh, the consequences felt in this film. Yes. But I think beyond that... Him not engaging with it is important. I like, agree. Like, like I, I that's, agree. That's a, a, a point the movie is I making. think that's right. huge. But also, Marie, you asked me immediately afterwards, you said, what do you think about that decision to not show it, right? Right. And I said, I think you're really in a double-edged sword situation if you're Nolan, right? Aside from the fact that just narratively for the story he's telling, yes, that guy doesn't even want to look at it because he can imagine it, right? So he doesn't want to look into the eye of what he created. There's also, like, the Trinity uh, test is this moment of, it's terrifying, but it's also a moment of real spectacle. Yes. Yes. It's exciting. Yes. You know, you're you're tense and nervous and, and you know, it's an incredible moment. Yeah. It, it would be like spectacle. Again, yes. you yeah. know, to depict that, you know, like, and I think it would be like kind of queasy That's, spectacle. That was like, my entire be, take know. to Maria is I'm like, he's got two choices. One is to replicate it in some way, which then gets kind of gross where yeah, it's like you it's are nasty, kind of giving know. people eye candy because you're like, wow, look at the makeup, look at the effects, even right. if it's right. too... The ends of trying to shock and horrify. It still becomes movie magic, right? Or you do what some films do, which is like you reuse real footage or real imagery, which feels very exploitative to me. Well, but, and again, I just feel like he's like, we're with this guy. Yeah. And this guy wouldn't have seen anything on TV because that just wasn't a thing in 1945. I just think there's no way to show it on screen that isn't actually insensitive to the actual victims. Well, the, the one girl that we see... Oppenheimer imagine right the the her is, sort of is skin that flaking. Nolan's daughter? that's Nolan's daughter yes. that's crazy right 
well, like another comparison to Park Chan Wook, you know, yeah. our, our current guy. <laughs> I, made this like, I, I made this movie for my daughter. And I'm like, you made this movie for your daughter? You sick asshole. Yeah. I mean, beautiful, it's, crazy person. No, but it's, I think there's something to like Nolan is filming yes. the destruction no. of the person who means as much to him as anyone in his 100%. life. 100%. Yes. Like the, the emotional consequence of it. Right. Is, the movie is, doesn't give you that context, so but there's some feeling that comes across in like right. a, yes. God on a cellular him. level. I mean, it's, the, Barbie does a similar thing to very opposite effect where at the end of that movie, without spoiling things for people, there's a montage of like home video footage. And Greta Gerwig talked about that that's all home video footage from people who worked on the movie, like the crew and the cast. Stuff. Yeah. Totally. And she said, I think there are things you can put in a film that even if they're not expressed overtly, you can feel it in the sort of DNA that this is personal, right? And this mm-hmm. comes from someplace honest and whatever. Yeah. And I think he's doing the same thing, which is like... I, I'm going to film this differently if it's my own daughter, you know, because this is as upsetting to me call. as it could be to anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, I think you're right. Um, but that's but right. then again, maybe he actually thinks Oppenheimer is good and that the bombs were good. No, he I'm liked joking. the bomb. Um, no, and you have basically from that scene on the speech, this recurring visual motif of like the blinding light right, like on it, Oppenheimer. Everything going white. Yes. Because the moment of the test where there's the flash and no noise yeah. and you hear the noise later, which is how it would have been, yeah. is, is so like spellbinding as well. This like, is a very analog movie. Nolan, you know, I, I think abhors having any digital process on his films. He thinks right? it looks fake. Right. Yeah. And and he has had films before that have a hybrid. Even when he shoots on film, if you're incorporating digital effects, then at some point you have to put it in a digital editing system. You have to color correct digitally, whatever. This was a movie he never wanted going onto computers, right? Just everything done photochemically. I mean, he even talks about he's like anti-wigs. He like wants as little yeah. fakery as possible, yes. I think. Right, yeah. But there are certain effects in this movie that I think are so uh, impactful. And they're very simple. He's not like trying to overthink them, right? But just like in the way of just like, you know what? Just flashing a really bright light on Killian Murphy's face is going to speak volumes. And I think the thing they do at several moments in the movie where he basically cuts himself into imagining him in the scene that someone else is describing to him. When David Desmanchian comes up to him and talks about being in a fighter, uh, right. a fighter pilot. In, 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 a, in a plane and watching a V2 rocket go right. over. Right. That moment is so shocking, though, when yes. you're, he's suddenly sitting in the cockpit with him. Right. All those little like when Florence Pugh is sitting on him Correct. in the hearing. The thing that people have dinged as being goofy. And no, I'm, what? I think that's like a devastating That's moment. an incredible moment. And right. it's also just like... For Nolan to, like, do that is so unusual. Like, yeah. he doesn't break form like that, no, really. No, like, And for him to suddenly start playing with, like, that kind of, like, fantasy in reality yeah. is very But I also think, like, on a, on a very simple level, he's getting at something, which is, like, when someone describes having sex with someone to you or even acknowledges that it happened, your brain flashes to imagining the visual for a second. Like, when does that not happen, right? So even in this very staid, boring conference room where Emily Blunt is going to be so deeply embarrassed to hear him acknowledge out loud, yes, we did have intimate relations. It's not like he's describing physical acts. It's her greatest fear is they're now all thinking about it. They all know that's it. the thing he's trying he, to write. Yeah, right, you she, know, like he, he says this guy her, has dragged you, this into this room right, and making right. me listen to it. He says yeah. to her, I didn't say anything that you didn't already know. And, and she like, went, like, all of them know now. Yeah, yeah. like they're I all didn't thinking, it's a different. Right. Yeah. It's like they're all thinking about him having sex with this woman now, and she's looking at them thinking about right. him having sex with that woman. And looking at her and thinking totally. about how it affects her and all how embarrassed it. she is. And that's yes. when Jason Clark was like, Okay, I get it, I will do your movie. 
Right. I'll do your cuck movie. Right. But then said, like, but when was I married to Florence Pugh's character? And I just, we're Nolan missing was that just one like, scene. Uh, if it helps you to understand the movie better, fine, you were married to her as well. I thought about a thing. Our friend Richard Lawson said in a conversation many drinks in on a very unrelated subject many wow. months ago. Okay. Trolls? My trolls. He said They're my out trolls. of control. I never should have he brought said my into trolls this world. Were out of control. I feel like there's blood on my hands. He said that to Harry Truman yes. once about we were, his trolls. We were we were talking about people uh, uh, who were perhaps characteristically similar to uh, the Florence Pugh character in this film. Sure, sort of like wild, interesting, but unstable. You right. know, right. And yeah. he said, like, the captivating thing about people like that is they just tell you exactly who they are immediately. Mm. And even if who they are is terrifying and you know it's going to be harmful to you, there's something really hard to resist in that. And I think when Oppenheimer is this, like, constructed man— So we were talking about Princess Poppy when you were talking yes, about— okay. absolutely. We were talking about Princess Poppy. Well, Branch is the one who's really hiding his true self. <laughs> That's because true. Because if you've seen the troller, uh, the troller, the Trolls trailer, which I'm calling the troller— Jesus Christ. —for Trolls band together, we find out that Branch, the most cynical and dour of all trolls, was in fact once a member of a boy band. Wow. Um, the actual adult point was. I was about to make yes, yes. Griffin. was that uh, uh, Oppenheimer's this constructed man, right? Mm. He's sort of an act to right. a certain degree. And he's made of Lego. He's made reveals. of Lego. And he's like going through this world trying to make sense of other people who are putting on airs and this and that. And here's this woman who just cannot hide what she thinks well, and who she is at any very moment. He's very – he, interior, he interiorizes everything. Right. He's all inside, and she is. Look at my boobs. I'm totally. out here. I'm yes. saying things and Read getting this up book from to me, baby. Yeah. Getting up from bed to look at your bookshelf and neg you about it. You know. Uh, quick thing. While we're talking about women in this movie, there mm. is one thing I just want to say. Mm. And what's that? I want to. I mean, well, it's not going to be me. It's going to be filmmaker Barbie voicing okay. this opinion. Okay. Um, I, Marie Barty, will say that I believe Oppenheimer is a masterpiece, five stars. It's great. However, film director Barbie will say that he is not beating the can't write women allegations. No, I think Emily Blunt, the fucking the the one complaint I have about this movie. If you put him on trial, he'd be like, I'm I'm guilty. Right. Yes. I mean, me so, can't we can't write women jail? When Flint <laughs> makes his movie about Chris Nolan, that's yeah. I mean, the 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 every scene she's got a drink in her look, hand. Yeah. Look, and I look. guess she was an alcoholic I'll say, in real life. When you read life. the book, who, wait, that's her who, vibe. Who are you saying? Kitty, Who's Kitty Oppenheimer. Kitty, Kitty Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah subtle. Right, right. I'm her, super her subtle. Yeah. yeah. Got it. I mean, look. Ben's big takeaway walking out of the theater, he went, I don't know if you guys know this, but they used uh, music a couple times. <laughs> yeah. And then so, and then he said, and did you guys notice she was always drinking? Look, Kitty Those was, beer goggles she had were crazy. Three sheets to the wind all the time. She certainly did have kids and then later go like, I don't know what to do with right. this fucking thing. Can someone else take care of it? In the you movie, know, it's like, played a little bit like Lucille Bluth. Yeah. It's, a, it's little, a little comical. It, yes. Yeah, I think she was kind of a firecracker. I God know, bless her. It, that yeah. stuff is just her so... Her on the horse is powerful. You're like, I get it. No, you and, know? And, and there are moments where she, where the right after Florence Pugh dies and she's like, get yourself together. You're mm -hmm. not... That's, when he's out in the, uh, yeah, and, out in, of the desert. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's that's fantastic. And her, you know, showcase of... You know, grammar shutting down Jason yeah, Clark. At, yes, yes, it, it, are both fantastic. But all of the little, like you know, it's it's a little. Her performance is a little mannered. I don't know if it's a her performance thing or if it's the way the character's written or what. It yeah. just it rubbed against 
film director Barbie in a way that you know I like that I do feel like she's kind of doing a Barbara Stanwyck thing and that she's sort of doing a performance of the way that women acted in movies of that era spiky 40s dame right I I love Emily Blunt I'm very pro Emily let's put it bluntly we love right Is she a mannered actress? I don't know. I guess not. I guess this is more. I think she can fit mannered. She, she, right. Yeah. yeah. She's pretty versatile. Yes. Um. It's like, yeah. It's like I haven't really seen a lot. Like it's like her last few years. It's like Jungle Cruise, Quiet Place Part Two. Yeah. Which like she barely gets to talk in that movie. What the fuck? <laughs> Thank you. David, uh, uh, a silence falls. Mary the Poppins room. returns, like, is one of those things where I'm like, y- you've done your best here. Yes. I don't know. It's not a bad performance. It's a bit of an Oppenheimer moment of, did this need <laughs> what, to be what done? What have we done? Right. <laughs> like, the last time I've truly loved her is fucking Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Like, ever since then, I've always just been like, I am pro blunt always. Right. But often kind of like, well, I, I'd I love to see you do all those performances you listed. I like. I watched Jungle Cruise, and I was like, "Damn, she's really fucking." Good. She's good in it. That I movie. Mean, I'm just know. like, to what end? Y- yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember feeling the same way during Into the Woods, where I'm like, she kind of can do anything. Yeah. What a shame that it's in service of this film. Yeah. Um, Sicario, she's good in, but that movie. Yeah. Sicario, I think she's no, pretty but phenomenal. I think, I yeah, but, but the movie then treats her but horribly. I think that's the, right. I think that's the point. I agree. Yes. I agree. But nonetheless, but, that is what's happening. to right. Emily Blunt, the actor. Right. But, uh, she's great in Quiet Place. Yeah. But I heard, and you know, in Huntsman Winter's War, she fought the war. She was uh, ice. Queen. I mean, I like yes. her when, she, she, when she's tough and prickly, like she is in Edge of Tomorrow. One of the and, greatest I mean, that Devil Wears Prada and yeah. yes. Looper, yeah. and you know, she's yeah. like, I like that mode, and I think yes. she's trying to channel that in this movie. Uh, but for some, it just didn't. That's the only piece that felt, yeah, not perfect. I just kicked down my. Battering. Um, I was sitting on my desk. Uh, I'm an adult. Swear to me. I'm an Oppenheimer. I'm a grown up. Why didn't uh, Batman interrogate Oppenheimer? He should have. Swear it, to me. It would have been over and done with in 45 minutes. Um, no, you know, the, the Nolan uh, dead wife trope, right? right. I, Nolan, this wife is alive. Th- yeah, absolutely. This has a dead mistress. It's a very different story. <laughs> um, I, I have always, Christopher Nolan has always struck me as someone who in his movies expresses things that he maybe could never express with his own words, right? Not that the man uh, is not in touch with his own feelings or lacks interiority, but it does feel like movies are very therapeutic for him, and you're finding out a lot of what he finds interesting and what scares him and all of that. makes a lot of sense that he's been with the same woman for the majority of his life. He has many children with her. She is his producing partner in all films. And he seems most terrified in the world of the idea of his wife dying. That is like the scariest thing he could possibly imagine. So you're saying that all his dead wives are actually just a really sweet reflection on his own living wife? To That's, a certain degree. That is a Aww. very interesting reading <laughs> yes. of, of that. I, I look. I don't think that makes up for the fact that he greatly underserves his female characters because he makes them serve as plot functions for his greatest fear rather than letting them exist as people. Right. And I do think... Like, Who's the best Nolan lady? I was just Catwoman? thinking this. I think Catwoman is good. I think Murph in Interstellar. Love her. Because she is not a wife. She is a daughter. She's a queen. No, she rules. She's the best. But I also think like Carrie Ann Moss in Memento yeah. is better than most well, of the that, ones. That's a really clever femme fatale character. It's his like, best of the femme fatales. Well, I just... 
whatever. Let's not what? talk about his dead wives too much. What, uh, what were you going to say? I, I like the idea of Marion Cotillard in Inception so much, even Same. though she is the prototypical dead wife because she is literally dead for the whole movie. I'd bump on it less if she was the only example right. of that in his film. Because the idea of like, what if something happened to you that haunted you yes. and then you were a person who lived inside right. your the, own the, mind, the, she would always the, be there the, being yeah. like, remember me, bitch? The right. concept of that character, Sorry. I think, is really yeah. cool. I'm yes. about to ask a very controversial question. Do okay. It. Has she given a good performance in English? Marianne Coutillard? Uh I think several, yes. Like personally. what? Well, I think she's amazing in Public Enemies. Maybe you don't agree, but I love that performance. I don't remember her performance wow. in Public well, Enemies. Well, I fucking wow. love it. And I, li- I, I like, I like her the in question. Allied a lot. Uh, Allied is my favorite American, or my favorite English language Coutillard, but her best performances are in French. Yes. No question. Obviously. Right. Yes. Rust and Bone, um, in my mind, is her Rust and Bone is best. phenomenal. Uh, two but Days, One Night, she's yeah. amazing. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think she's really good in The Immigrant. That's an English Assassin's Creed, what are we talking about? Assassin's oh, sorry, Creed. you're right. Zappa. Yeah. No, that language is not written. That was not written in English. <laughs> that was written in fucking... Creedies. Wingdings. <laughs> what? How dare you? <laughs> that was a good joke. Uh, it was a immig- good joke. Immigrant's <laughs> English language. Yeah, Immigrant. Yeah. She's okay. English. Yeah. Awesome I, I think she plays... F- foreign characters in English movies well. Right. I mean, like she yeah. came in and she's like, hey guys, I, I, I'm from New York City. I, I'm, I'm still know. waiting for her to play Adam Sandler's wife in a movie. <laughs> yeah, That's Jesus the one Christ. I'm waiting Baby, for. why are you so sad? <laughs> what did David Spade say to you? Hey, call me a loser. I, I, I rewatched Inception. <laughs> Come over to the bed. Yeah. Don't um, play video uh, games. I don't know. I don't want to have sex with you, man. <laughs> 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 Uh, Come on, our politics are probably kind of similar. Horseshoe thing. I, I, I just put these basketball shorts on. I don't want to take them off. <laughs> jet fuel cannot melt steel beams. Uh, you're so funny, Marion. You love the New York Jets. I love to talk about jet fuel. Yeah, but what not couple we are. Sorry. Great. Serious episode. No bets. Go on, Marie. Uh, no, I was just. I re- what I have we done? I'm Oppenheimer. <laughs> Glasses shaking. <laughs> Uh, I just rewatched Inception this weekend, a movie that I had only seen once in theaters, and that's crazy. I mean, I you know, I, I, Forky did recently. She was like, "What's that movie I hate that you love?" And I was like, it "Could be a lot of movies." What, what, you know, what you, she's like, "The one where like Leonardo DiCaprio is in dreams." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, no, I do love that movie, yeah. and I suppose you do hate it." Uh, I remember liking it at the time, yeah, uh, because that was you know part of the the time in my life where I was a student at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. Mm. David's pointing. Pointing, pointing to at Barbie. Film yeah, school. Barbie. Uh, film school Barbie. Film school film Barbie. School Barbie. Yeah. She's saddled with debt. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She can't get under- uh, film, school, <laughs> film school Barbie went to Chapman. Oh, mm. cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, anyways, sorry, you were and, film school. It, and uh, I went with a group of like 20 people. Mm-hmm. There were no assigned seats at the Lincoln Square oh, IMAX. So <laughs> you had to go like five hours Riding your in horses in. Yeah. People brought board games. I do remember that. Where yeah. you just were like, well, yeah. I'll show up three hours early, I guess. And it was for the midnight screening on Thursday night at and used to be that was, used to be I mean, Things were clearly better yeah. then. So I remember my experience of seeing Inception uh, as like a fun event. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I did not, I remembered the hallway fight. Yeah. And the the totem. Yeah. Token is a totem. 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 Only. And I know the exact weight <laughs> size. Of That's why we were talking dog. Inception, me and my wife, because Joseph Gordon-Levitt was on Sesame Street. Carry on, continue. Uh, uh, she was like, what happened to this guy? I only know. I know the exact weight. <laughs> Of this cookie. <laughs> oh, give me that cookie. Right, go on. 
Well, just real quick, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I had like a really weird experience recently where I was watching The Wind Rises, but I was watching the dub version. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I didn't know it was him. Tim? And I was like, this guy's got a sexy voice. Who is this? And I looked it up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess Joseph Gordon-Levitt does have a sexy voice. Very, Only I know the exact weight of this murder <laughs> of his voice. Um, uh, what about Inception? I did not like it. What? Mm. The fuck is the matter with you? Out! I'm sorry. David, 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 David. Film school Barbie could take over. David. I bet she liked Inception. Why didn't you like it? I just got bored. It was like a lot of exposition. Yes. Yes. It rules. (laughs) It's like reading the most exciting instruction manual of all time. It's the best. But the best thing about Inception is it's like the first act is Leonardo DiCaprio being like, here's the instruction manual. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Elliot Page reads it. He's like, you know, I get it. And then he keeps being like, I have more pages from the instruction manual, actually. And they all contradict the other parts. Right. Of the, you know, like, it's so good. I, I think the action in the, like, the last third is really fun. Yeah. The uh, snow, but the middle. Killian Murphy, who we should talk about in this movie, crying. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah Pete dead, dead Beth. Yeah. That, de- uh, dead dead Beth. Beth. <laughs> I need Jesus. to go home and lie down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, deathbed. Yeah, I mean, Dead. no, it, 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 there, it, I wouldn't say it's like a total stinker. None of Nolan's movies are stinkers, but I, Some people like that. I was looking at my phone a lot. What about the Inception episode we did where we had a podcast within a podcast? That was a classic that was yeah. episode. Yeah. That's that great. Well, I think I think dreams are cool. I would like to, you know, what about go the meme them? of Leo squinting? You wouldn't have that without Inception. Uh, you wouldn't have that without. I'm just gonna, you know, put on my little nerd hat and say I prefer paprika. I that's fair. Will always find the comparison people make between those two masterpieces a little baffling. Well, I will always find the idea that Nolan ripped off paprika to be very strange. Given as someone who loves paprika and mm-hmm. it, has seen it so many times, they're not that similar apart from the very basic concept of going inside people's dreams. But David, right now, are you, me you hearing like people like yes, going like I am. this? Yes. And like, I know you're hearing that's going to make people crazy <laughs> because people don't agree with that point. Yeah. And I've never quite, as someone who's watched paprika many times, I've never quite understood. But whatever. Okay. I, uh, our friend uh, Sedant. Uh, a past and future guest mm. uh, has been uh, wrote some very good pieces uh, in the lead up to uh, Oppenheimer, but also has been reposting all his pieces on Nolan over the years. Who's a filmmaker? He's followed closely and written about a lot. And he threw out a term in one of the pieces I forget about just like it, and it, it's you know I think it could have been perceived as a sideswipe, but I don't think it was. He was almost saying like it is secretly one of the things that makes him really interesting. He, he mentioned his distinct lack of imagination. Right. Right? Right. There is this thing where Nolan is a guy who wants to make sense of things. Right. Uh. He's not going on flights of fancy. He's trying to, like, solve them in this way that's very similar to all the scientists in this movie who are sitting down and just trying to crack the code. It's the reason why, like, you know, The Dark Knight being a movie that kind of broke Hollywood for a while, like, how does everyone replicate this? And the thing that we forget now, because we're thankfully kind of out of it, was, like, the seven or eight years of blockbusters being really fucking dour and self-serious and gritty and realistic, where they were all trying to copy the Nolan thing, but it was an affectation, right? It was, like, a posture versus... Versus Nolan being like, I need to create a Batman that makes sense to me. Like he fundamentally rejected a Batman that felt fanciful, not as some sort of like hook, but as like. Everything needs to have some practical sense. Right. That's just how he thinks through things. It's like he's working on a proof. Right. And I think this movie is him similarly just trying to like get to how how do I come up with answers for questions that are unanswerable. Right. 
but that are beyond that, like movies that are about uh, uh, a movie that is about circumstances when people are asked questions where the effect of how they answer at that moment is so great, where you really have to think about the weight of how you respond. I think Inception, the obvious like kind of slam on it is like for me about dreams, it should be a lot fucking wilder. That's often been the slam. Yeah. And I've been like, well, bitch, these are Christopher Nolan's dreams. Exactly. And he dreams like an architect. Exactly. And like um, this guy cannot put a single thing on screen that is not a reflection of his worldview, which is, for better or worse, what we find interesting about directors. I also find the imagery in Inception satisfyingly surreal yeah, in many too. ways. I but Thank you. you know what? Drag me all over town. Ben's raising his hand. Okay, let's Wrap talk about episode. Killian. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so we tabled that, and it's so sort of an important Obviously, <laughs> he's worked with bit. Mr. Nolan many times. This yep. is the fifth. This is sixth. Sixth. Six uh, times he's done three Batman. Inception, Dunkirk this. Correct. Okay. Uh, he's wonderful in all those films. Agreed. He's great in the Batman movies, obviously. Uh-huh. His part in Dunkirk is so powerful. He yeah. Is pretty astonishing in that And film. honestly, he's kind of the emotional fulcrum of Inception, too. Like, you know, in this stealth way that you don't even realize. Right. Um, he's got the best eyes in the biz. Yeah. Uh, obviously, yep. we talked plenty about him in our Boyle series it's recently. It's a big year of Killian for us. Yes. Because uh, we yep. talked about 28 Days Later and Sunshine, which are also... I think Sunshine's going to get an Oppenheimer bump. I think so. I do, too. I mean, as long yeah. as it's, like, available for people to yeah. watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if they make that movie legal again. Yeah. Um, he's had he's he's joked about, like, I guess I read Physicist because I keep playing right. physicists. Yeah. Um, it's a tough like, performance. good at staring into blindingly bright lights. You know, like, yeah. Robert Downey Jr., who is tremendous in this movie. And mm-hmm. obviously, there's just also the incredible excitement of watching him he's fucking back. uncork it. Yeah. Like, yes. literally right. going like, hey, I, I had this bottle of champagne in my fridge. It's been yeah. here for, like, 20 right. years. He's been serving you wine coolers yeah, for the last like, 10 years, uh, and they taste good, and they get you drunk. <laughs> yeah. And, like, so, and he has, like, slam dunk kind of thunderous moments, like, where you're like, yes. wow, this is going to resonate for the whole year. Yeah. Killian's not getting those moments because that's you it know is, the character he's playing right. the arc he's serving Donnie Jr. keeps on I, I, I think the bigger Donnie stars Jr. keeps like yeah. dumping roses at this guy's right. feet you know but also the bigger stars in this movie on their press uh, tours that all happened right before the strike yeah uh, sometimes they were in solo sometimes they were paired up with Killian and regardless of whether he was there or not next to them they basically all keep on using the fact that they're the bigger name to say, like, by the way, this guy gives maybe the performance of a generation, right. right? Like, they're just like, it's insane. Watching him work was insane. Watching the final product was insane. And I was like, are they in danger of overhyping this thing? When you watch it, you understand what they're reacting to, which is this guy just has to fucking maintain this hum for, like, three hours of movie. And three hours of movie that whip around so wildly in time and place that he's doing so many, like, tiny scenes fragments right where it's 10 seconds of him at a blackboard in a time that they'll never return to you know yeah 30 seconds of him saying two sentences to one person with uh, you know ripple effects that will like a puddle and they, right, they keep having this imagery obviously right. with the, the the ripples and the puddle and he gets know. big scenes but yeah. the guy never has catharsis the guy yeah. never has That's the, the blow up right, right. He's just got to hold this thing for like three hours where you're just like the concentration of this performance is astonishing to me. The restraint of it. Right. Yeah. The catharsis you're getting is like Strauss melting down at the end of the film. Totally. Is Kitty, you know, demolishing the King of Cucks and then later, you know, refusing to shake Teller's hand, Benny Safdie's hand. You know, those those moments are powerful. Every moment. But they're not. 
that, Oppenheimer's right, moments. Right. I, I mean, Florence Pugh has four scenes. Each of them is incredibly emotional. Right, right, right. right. She's, she's giving this big, you know. But Damon like, won't stop yelling. God bless him. I wish he'd yell at me. In bed, but in our marriage just like, bed. Killing Murphy just has to do with like three hours of this. And have have you believe, which I think he does in every single frame of this movie, the shit going on in this guy's mind is impossible to comprehend. Right. Yeah. He also communicates enthusiasm well. Yes. Like if he was my science teacher, I'd probably enjoy myself. And I think like the way he's described in the book and the movie is like he was this really good because there's this moment where Damon's like, why don't you have a Nobel Prize? Like, right. I want you to be in charge of this, but, like, you're not even, like, the leading physicist yeah. in this field. And he apparently was just really good at, like, summarizing people's arguments, pushing the thing the forward. The great salesman of science is Carrying the ball. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and, and you whenever he seems the most alive in those scenes of lots of people... That thing where he's got one pupil and he's like, don't worry when they find out what we're doing in here. And you see the sort of time lapse of, yeah, the room filling up and him becoming a fucking rock star. Yeah, Yeah, I'd fuck him. Yeah. (sighs) I'd fuck everyone in this movie. It's Uh, Yes, 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 yes. yes. My my single favorite like sort of line reading he has in the film is when Damon's interviewing him and he goes, you want to know the best quote I got about you? It's Oppenheimer couldn't even run a hamburger stand (laughs) and he laughs and he goes, I couldn't. Yeah, right. That's not my uh, that's not my field. Right. He doesn't push back on it at all. Right. And then he just gets up and explains to him what he understands better than anyone else right. in the world. Man, they're back and forth, those oh. two. They yeah. have they have a chemistry. bunch of yes. scenes that are so like I mean, the standout is when right before the test. Yeah. Where they're like, Right, if where they're this talking about like go, what if it blows up the world. If this doesn't yeah. happen yeah. though, our careers are ruined. Right. Right. Well, so maybe the, the world, world is would but, the but world would right. which it's is slightly obviously higher that's the yeah. theory thing where he's right. like, "What can I give you? It's fucking theory. Like yeah. you never know." But there is, yeah, there is also the you know the the marbles being put in the jar of like we only have so much plutonium. Yes, every time if one if this doesn't work, we just blew a lot of our plutonium. We yeah. don't have more. There's also that scene where he invites Damon over for steamed clams, and then he accidentally overcooks them, and so he has to sneak out the window to Krusty Burger and buy hamburgers, and then pretend that they're steamed he's hams. Doing the Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, it's an upstate New York thing. Quickly, just some other actors. Mm-hmm. I had like a Vince McMahon meme reaction. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to. Yeah, let's run down. Okay. Yeah. We'll run down the list. So the three actors I did not know were in this movie. Sure. Oh, no, sorry. Four. Okay. Or let's say I knew they were in the movie. I did not know who they were playing. Sure. And I- also, so many people were in the cast list that some people you're like, maybe I knew that at one point and forgot. forgot. Yeah. Uh, wait, maybe it is three. Oh, yeah, no, it's four. Okay, number one, Kenneth Branagh as Niels Bohr. Uh-huh. Uh, great, great use He's, of just, like, Kenneth is the new Michael Caine. I was going to say. Yes. Right. right. I mean, I was... I, I third yeah. Nolan movie in yeah. a row. Michael Caine seems Doing a weird voice. Yeah. yeah, he's... Yeah. yeah. God bless uh, him. He's really yeah. good, actually, because he's got the two crucial scenes. Yes. I uh, thought his... Is, is, he, is that supposed to be a Danish accent? Yeah. Sounded a little like Christopher Walken. He is a Danish physicist. Yeah, Niels Bohr, the Great Dane, we called him. Woof, woof. Uh, We all used to call him that back in the day. Yeah, so Branagh showing up doing a funny voice, playing Niels Bohr, Mm -hmm. lost it. Uh, I did not realize that um, Casey Affleck was in this movie. Playing a terrifying character. He is incredible, and he is so well deployed. Yeah. 
he's such a little seething weasel of a fucking you're immediately yes. like oh my god this guy goes home and jerks off about like communists dying right. yeah like and, and you contrast and the way, the way that like, damon oh, yeah, describes what, what him what did he tell you what oh, yeah, tell? Yeah, and damon's like wait you talked to that fucking guy right. and yeah. then you're cutting to like a very reserved casey affleck yeah. but just scary with his like baby voice yeah he like, just like, looks like, like he constantly bare. shaves the character yes. too. Yeah. i mean his like so right. close yes. shaving. yeah i mean that was that was very i think that is the second most unnerving scene in yeah. the wall. There's a lot of unnerving there are a lot scenes. Of unnerving the way film. they describe this guy, though, you're picturing like Sergeant Rock, and then they keep on cutting back to Casey Affleck, right, and right. it makes yeah. them all the scarier to have them be like, this is the fucking worst guy alive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Maybe second worst, Hitler's still alive at that point in the movie. Go on. Third person, uh, Truman. Gary Oldman showing up as Truman. I mean, I think a slam dunk performance. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good And it's David really and I disagree strongly on, on Darkest Hour movie. I dislike in a performance I dislike. Wonderful film, great performance. And this, he's he's going similarly big, but I think it he's, really... He's basically using the same glasses. really works. I mean, the, the pupils are so big. He's so he's really good. That's, that's right out of history, obviously, yeah. that Oppenheimer... Went to Harry Truman to oh. kind of plead his oh, case. Oh, David. Uh, I'm ben, reaching out my handkerchief. Ben's yeah. And you're waving right. it in your fucking yeah. face. And you then know, unfold basically the handkerchief. Basically had a nervous breakdown. There's an orange slice. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. I'm hungry. <laughs> had a nervous breakdown in front of the president, in a, in a soft way at least. Yeah. Uh -huh. And the president basically, you know, Truman basically had this reaction of like, one, I'm the one who made the decision, crybaby. Right. Yeah. Right. And two, like... I was hoping you come in and be like, "Hey, yeah, I got some more atom bomb ideas for yeah. you." You know, like not like this whole like I, I, the blood on my hands, right? Like, but fuck also, out of my like, office. like Truman's like sort of folksiness is yeah. as well, much a, of a, a posture fella. as like Oppenheimer's weird dark cowboy physicist thing. Right. You know, like all these guys have these personas they bake on in the same way that Damon's whole thing is like, "I'm just a, a gruff military man. I don't understand but science at MIT. all." He went to MIT. Yeah. He knows everything they're fucking talking about. Yeah. At least in a basic sense yes. he's fascinated yeah. by all that but stuff. he like wants to play dumb like everyone... he's got he's got a yes. cowboy streak uh, right. as well and yes. like you know he's trying not to right. hide that yeah um, um who's the fourth? and then the fourth was rami malik who so he's really well used he is introduced early on and doesn't say a goddamn he's in, word he's in two scenes where he basically doesn't speak where he's right. just like part of a gang of scientists yeah. who are there yeah and I truly was like, there's no way he's not using Malik. He's got to do something with so it. So I was wondering what it's going to be. But yeah. I think yeah. it's so important. One, because Malik does a great job with that scene, the the speech he gives. Mm -hmm. And two, because you're just, the minute you see him, you're like, fuck, he's actually, right, he was there the whole time. Because yeah. the whole conceit of him is that Strauss is like, Hill, who's that again? He won't be mean to sure. me. Right. I don't even remember who that guy is. Yeah. He wasn't at Los Alamos. He was like, he was working in Chicago with Chicago. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the Chicago Pile, it was yes. called. Yeah. The first nuclear reactor, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. And it's kind of crazy too that all of these like scientists were just chilling around fucking radiation constantly. I, yeah, I mean it wasn't yeah. great for them. I don't think it was good. No, yeah. no, not at all. Uh no, Rami's got uh, uh big eyes. Yeah. He's got some jeepers peepers. And when his role is basically to have you take notice of the fact that he is watching things. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yes. He's, yeah. yeah. Great, great, great point. Yeah. That he's witnessing events. Yeah. The, the billing of this movie, you had the big five above the title on the poster. Murphy, Blunt, Damon, Downey, Pew. Right. Downey taking the fourth spot. Because it's alphabetical after Killian. Yep. Yeah. And then we were like, who else is going to get single card in this crazy cast, right? It's crazy cast of no one's. And you're like, it's Josh Hartnett. Yep. And then it's the three Oscar winners. Affleck, Malik, Branagh. Yeah. 
As then, you pointed out, this film has five Oscar winners correct. in it. Yep. And Those three plus Damon and um, down. Uh, when and Branoff and, uh, for screenplay. No, it, it's sorry. It's uh, yeah, Damon, Affleck, Malik, Branagh, and uh, who's the fifth? Um, Oldman. 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 Right. Who, who's not uncredited, but is He's buried in yeah. the yes. list or whatever. Yeah. Um, some other. I'm just going to. So Blunt, we talked about Damon. We love that performance. I assume just so Damon. I, I said this to you in blank dough. You didn't respond. I didn't say it to you. I said it in oh, blank dough. Okay. You keep saying about Damon. I want to. I want to climb him like a tree. I do want to climb. Is he tall? Like he is pretty tall. No, I, he's he's like, talking more about. Really he's talking about the hefty Damon. Yeah, I could climb air. all around him. Right. I could right, climb gotcha. like a spiral. He's yeah. five. Maybe more like a mountain. Okay. Yeah. So taller than Murphy and uh, yeah. Downey. I would say you know but... there, Damon had a bit of a fallow period in his career mm-hmm. around when like you know the fifth Jason Bourne movie and the Great Wall. You yeah. know where it was sort of like, you know, it's kind of like what's what's his. What's his move here now? Right. right like, you know, what sure. are we doing, Damien? Like, yeah. you know, and the last five years or so, let me start with here. Oh, fucking IMDb sucks so fucking I mean, Stillwater, hard. which I still think is maybe his That's, best performance. Stillwater is great. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So, like, yeah. so you say, like, that, well, I mean, The Martian is amazing, but then, like, yeah. post Martian, uh, you know, it's Jason Bourne, Great Wall, Downsizing, which I think he's really good in, Love but that movie doesn't connect. And Suburbicon. with me hard. I like Downsizing. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. It's a, it's a good movie. American um, masterpiece. Um, but then post that Griff, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he does his little Sodi cameo in Unsane, right? Yeah. Which is really good. And and a similar kind of Sodi pop in uh, uh, No Sun and Moon, right. which is amazing. But yeah. his big roles: Ford versus Ferrari, Stillwater, mm-hmm. The Last Duel, Air, and this. Yeah, he is on a tremendous run. Agreed. Of doing different things. Yes. Working in different like modes, mm-hmm. making big movies that are yes. not franchise movies or yeah. not, you know, like. And he's awesome in all of those movies. Yeah. Now, what I love about it is he's trying a lot of different shit, yeah. but it almost feels like he's established his new home base as a movie star. Right. His default performance mode for maybe his 50s now as he husky goes into white fella. Tired, exasperated, <laughs> yeah. irritated, husky dude. Like, what, what, are you, what are you trying to say to me? Like, this like, energy of just like, that's all out with like, it. Like, that's Ford, obviously. Right. Stillwater is like a real performance. That's Agreed. a good movie, and he's just amazing in it. I'm I linking think. Stillwater, Oppenheimer, Air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As that feels like now, his new era. Last Duel, he's fucking hilarious yes. in that movie. Yes. He's such a buffoon. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. He's happy to make himself the butt of jokes. Yes. And then, yeah, this and Air, it's just, yeah, like it's that energy. Yeah. Okay, Robert Downey Jr., do you like the performance? Incredible. I think he's. You know, gonna win an Oscar. I think he. I think he probably is. Like, I think it's yeah. just kind of that that uncorking thing. That, yeah. Like, yeah, buddy, we knew we, we knew you had it in you. It's you weird know. to see both these guys we're talking about now kind of looking old. Well, well look, you know, Downey Junior. I know he's wearing makeup. Yeah. Yeah, he lost yeah, yeah. weight. He he shaved so, his hairline totally. back. He looks a lot like his father in this, which he I does. found yeah. very fascinating. Yeah. And his father was obviously this great countercultural figure. He yes. was about as opposite from Strauss as you could get. But especially in sort of the latest period of the movie, if people haven't seen uh, Senior, it's which really is the good. documentary about his father, it's really good. Um, but there's a really strong resemblance there. And he's even talked about in interviews of like, it was wild to look at myself yeah, in the mirror. Yeah, and be like, this is me in 15 years. Because yeah, everything, yeah. he hasn't done anything transformative in 15 years as an actor. Not right? Since the, Thunder. Right, that's the last movie where he looked different. And that he looked quite different in that movie. Yes. But uh, but now it's like you know what what's the big move we're doing for Doolittle? Uh, stubble, no mustache. You know, like everything's like adjusting a little bit the default Downey look, and this is him really changing his look up. And I think he said he looked in the mirror and he saw 
his dad and he was just like, oh, well, I, I have not seen myself look like this because to a certain degree, he has been preventing himself from aging because he's an A-list movie star. The other thing I read in an interview is he was talking about, uh, I think it's in that New York Times piece where he was saying like the way that Nolan works is so sort of like Spartan and such a team effort and there are no egos and everything. And he said we were like setting up a shot and Nolan was like, framing the camera around me. I was sitting in a chair and he was like, I have to run quickly. Can I just hand this off to you? Or he handed him a, a roll of film or something. Uh -huh. He handed Downey Jr. a piece of equipment and was like, I'll be back in one second. Uh -huh. And he was like, this would never happen on a Marvel movie. Right, right, and this right. isn't him showing disrespect for me, but it's like, we're all just in this together. And he was like, I haven't had to hold equipment on a set in so long. And he was like, this is what I grew up with, was my yeah, dad grew up around cameras. Like, handing me film canisters. And he was like, it was such a nice moment. And I read that and I went, I bet Nolan did that on purpose. Right. I absolutely believe in a canny oh. way Nolan was like, what am I going to do to Robert? Right, this is like a sensory, <laughs> give him a film canister. tactile experience. Is <laughs> performance I'm, better? I'm so into your Nolan voice. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I am too. Uh, but Farts. you just feel that you feel him being not just that he's uncorked, but that he's like really connected into the I meat mean, of the movie. It's nice that he got to be, you know, on a real set. Yes. I, I hope he does more of this kind wearing of Wearing an actual costume, not wearing pajamas. Uh-huh. Um, Florence Pugh, we talked about. Yep. Josh Hartnett, I, I, we talked about. You know, yeah, just got to yeah. acknowledge that he looks like Aaron Sorkin. He, he does. does. He's got the hair that looks like And the, the little Sorkin glasses. Oh, oh. Glad we caught that on my and surround. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Jesus. You guys gonna start a musical about people who look like Aaron Sorkin? <laughs> and, and the little glasses. <laughs> um I think that's a wonderful performance. Yeah. Made me really want to check in with Hartnett. Like apparently that uh was a ruse to Ruse Daguerre. Daguerre. Right. Well, Bilga was going on about that. Like he I did. love Bilga to death, but sometimes he'll be like, hmm, and I'm like, what? He did two uh Guy Ritchie's. Yeah. He's really I mean, I'm a big fan of Wrath of Man, which he's also in. Uh -huh. He's not the best part of it or yeah. anything like that. Uh, I have not seen Roostiger. Casey Affleck, we mentioned. Malik, we mentioned. Brandon, we mentioned. Benny Safdie is wonderful yes. as Edward Teller. He's playing a guy who essentially Dr. Strangelove is based on. Yes. And that Edward Teller had that accent. Yes. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's a little Watto-y. But like, the, and it's really interesting to hear Safdie talk about it where yes. he's like, I'm listening to, you know, no one's giving me all these tapes of this guy speaking. Yeah. And he sounds like this. Right. And I'm like, how hard am I supposed to hit this? Right. Like, And is there anybody to do this and not make it sound goofy no matter how accurate and I, I think go? he totally like a Hungarian nails it. Accent. Yeah. 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 Like a thick Hungarian yeah. accent. And he totally nails. He's also a grumpy Gus. That, like everything exactly, about this guy. This guy just had feels, this energy. Yeah. Like what the, the, where it's like, hi, Edward. And he goes, yes. You know, yes. like, or whatever. Like, he's just kind of an asshole. He's like, at what point in like a, like a early meeting when they're just setting up Los Alamos, he's like, this is more important. And he just like sort of interrupts Oppie. Right. And, and like Benny Safdie, who has weirdly become the character actor of his generation. Of the moment, yes. The guy that every fucking major director wants to slot in. I, I was saying to Marie... I love Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Yeah. I felt him being a little unmoored in that movie. Sure. Where that's good. I mean, he's got nice energy, obviously. But, like, yeah. that's a role where the whole point is, like, you kind of just want, like, a solid, good simple, kind of yeah. uncomplicated guy. And I felt like he was struggling more to play a guy who didn't have, like, he's... he's didn't have some weird thing about him. He's yeah. really good at actually doing the work if you put a really complicated assignment on right. his plate, yeah, which is fascinating for a guy who was not, yeah. like intending to be an actor yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, Jason Clark, King of Cucks. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Arnold, not an actor I'm that familiar with. Uh, he's the guy, he's in the Halloween movies, the Gordon Green movies, mm-hmm. as uh, mm-hmm. Frank Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, but he's really, oh, oh, really strong he uh, face yeah. resemblance. Okay. Yes. Both to Killian and to the real Frank Oppenheimer. Yes. Really good job on the aging in this movie, too. By the way, we're like so they fucking yeah. grateful when we cut to Oppenheimer Univer- uh, University and there is no fucking de aging. You just put him in a different wig and you let an actor play a different age. I think they didn't even, again, Nolan hates wigs. I think they just cut his hair different. They like make Maybe. his hair stand up. Yeah, but, he, I yeah. think he was a little, like a little heavier. Yeah. And they, yeah. they just That's like, you look I just tired. Buy it. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 you're totally tired. And they don't, um, they basically don't really go hard on aging makeup until the, the Fermi Prize the scene, which sequence. is so brief. But they do, they do use aging makeup in they subtle do. ways like the they have like more eye folds but it feels like the very and, classical yeah. of like oh they're putting like burnt apple skin on their face it's just like very it's right. it's just classic yeah. movie like right um yeah no totally tom conti comes tom in range threes yes just absolutely fucking dominates yes and uh, like a mr thing, lawrence himself the only person the only celebrity my mother has ever written a fan letter to is tom, is tom conti and he replied <gasps> what what did he say he, I assume, said thank you and was very nice about it. She wrote him a letter about his performance in the Broadway play Whose Life Is It Anyway, wow. uh, which he won the Tony for in okay. 1979. She said, it's the only time I ever was like so moved by something, and she was younger, uh-huh. like that I felt compelled to write a fan letter. Wow. And he replied. Is that the play that Mary Tyler Moore replaced him in? Uh, well, uh, that actually sounds true. Mary yes, there was a gender reverse yeah. version of it. It's about a guy uh, who's paralyzed yeah, from the neck down. It. Yeah, Oh, wow. Uh, I just watched that Mary Tyler Moore documentary. Okay. Um, and she got like that. a special Tony for yeah, the gender reverse Because they couldn't version. give her a right, Tony. Right, because she didn't originally the role. Yeah, yeah interesting. Um, but uh, that he's best known, I think, for that, uh, for Ruben Rubin, which he got an Oscar nomination for, for. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. And and just honestly, a lot of others. He's a great character actor. He's, he's, he's in Friends, I believe. He's in the hole with uh, Bruce Wayne in Dark Knight Rises, telling yes, him to yes. crawl up. Yes. He is. I, right. I do love it when Nolan brings guys off the bench in yeah. that yeah. way. Um, but no, this is, I mean, this is the thing that uh, should break the movie. No, he, To have yeah. sort of like magical Einstein right. popping in at the, at the appropriate moments, a thing that is really a narrative... Uh, he does, he does pop in at one point, which is fun. Yeah. Like um, behind the taxi. Yeah. Yes. The, the, the one fiction Nolan is allowing right. himself is that when, uh, you know, Oppenheimer took those calculations of like, are we going to blow up the world? Yeah. He took it to a different scientist. Right. He had and a Nolan, relationship with Einstein, he did, he did. but they these scenes are all created. Nolan's like, he should talk to Einstein as this yeah. figure of the past yes. that they all revere, but are also moving beyond. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Einstein was very negative about quantum uh, theory and didn't like the idea of chaos. Yeah. Uh, in science. Kind of an anti-Joker. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why he did battle with the Joker. He did. Um, But uh, but like, so Einstein sort of wouldn't engage with their theories at a certain point and spent the rest of his life sort of trying to negate them. Mm -hmm. But they love him still. And that's, that's, you know, the role he plays. Mm -hmm. Uh, James Darcy is Blackett. uh, Yeah. Little one scene performance there. Yeah. In the Apple. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. Alden both incredibly good, I think. Really good. Yeah. yeah, I took a photo of the title card that had Alden, Dane, and David Dasmachalian or whatever right, his right, name right. is. The Karen Boy card. Yeah, yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, these three guys. It is that thing. Uh, I think Tony no- Goldwyn is oh. a, just always good as yeah. some Washington and, and fuck. mentioned early, but Macon Blair, I think, is really good yeah. in this. 
uh, Macon Blair is really good. There's yeah. a... and also I was like, that was Macon Blair. Yeah, I like, didn't, know I didn't it was realize him. that oh, really? totally. Yeah, totally. interesting. Uh, uh, there's Jeff... a Skarsgård in this movie. Good stuff. Yeah, one yeah. of yeah. Love Which him. One is, he? is he the? He's Hans Bethe. He's the. Is he the, the... tall? Yeah. Bald guy. Okay. Yeah. Bald guy. Yeah. Uh, Jefferson Hall is Hakan Chevalier, the the sort of the, of the, the, the truest Chev- communist. Yes, yeah. of the Chevalier. Of the Chevalier. When, when you're reading the what a devastating scene when they show up with the baby. <sighs> he's got a really good face. He does. Uh, yeah. That guy. He's yeah. on House of the Dragon right now. What else okay. do, do I know him from? He he's got a good face. Yeah. He's on Vikings apparently. Um, Jack Quaid playing bongos. Richard yeah. Feynman. Love him. Look, Jack Quaid just showed up on the best show on television, Strange New Worlds, playing his cartoon character from. Uh, fucking lower in live deck. action or yes. Okay. The show, the episode opens in animated, then you get sucked through a portal into live action hundred cool. years ago. Yeah, and he's got purple hair. Great. I love Jack Quaid, and I yeah. want him. Damon, you're out. I'm subbing in a twenty years younger guy, Quaid. Wow, hop in. Okay, Damn. is he twenty years younger? Uh, At thirty one, he's pretty yeah. young. Yeah, yeah. Um, love him in this though. That mm-hmm. guy was fun. Yeah, the guy yeah. he's playing. Yeah. Um, and I think they Nolan probably just thinks like Quaid's got a fun energy, yes. right? Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Josh Peck, which a lot of people were very surprised by him being cast in this movie. He's good, and he plays the yeah. guy who pushes the button. Yeah, he, yeah. So uh, I, I'm Cambridge. just putting my theory out here, and I have told this to David Sims. Mm-hmm. I'm betting you that Oppenheimer will not be in David Ehrlich's top twenty-five, but the countdown. Where Josh Peck. Oh, look, if you don't put this in your top twenty-five, I'm going to drag you on every episode of Blank Check in 2024. <laughs> every single one, a drive-by. But yeah, even he, ones you're on. Never have I seen a countdown. Yeah. So perfectly suited yeah. for Ehrlich's purposes. Yes. Anyway, uh, yeah. Good-looking countdown. Yeah, great it countdown. Um, we mentioned Modine Crumholtz just once again. Yeah. I mean, Crumholtz is my what favorite. In the favorite performance in this movie, it's an amazing. He scene. enters into this movie. You've seen him. You've seen it twice. There's the scene on the train. Yes. Yeah. That's kind of the convening of the Jews a little yeah. bit. Yeah. West side of the park. Uh, east side you. of the park. Right. He's, he's from downtown. He's. I think he's just making fun of him for being like a. You know, uh, Oppenheimer was a Tony boy. Went sure. to right. ethical culture right. from the Upper West Side. Kermit was know. more of an OB boy. Exactly. A drama well, desk boy. Well, um. He enters into this movie, and my immediate thought was like, man, the next 40 years of Krumholtz's career are going to be so good. <laughs> he's going to be eating them oranges. Right. And he's been on like a good upset, yeah. like obviously like yeah. Le- Leopold Strahl and all these things. But then you're just like, this feels like it's like really crystallizing on such a grand stage. Do you know him? I've met him. He's he's a he's a very nice man. I wouldn't say. I, I, I know him. I'm not friends with him. Okay. Yeah. He's sort of odd to engage with in a way, but also he's... He likes you, or he likes things very, you've done. He's been very he nice to me. You on Instagram. He's been very nice to me, and very like, supportive oh, of my work. Is he a friend of the I would pod? love to get him on the podcast. Come I on don't the pod, know if he's Crum. ever listened. Uh, well, hey, if you're listening, yeah, we'd he, love to have He you. weirdly came to one of my Give UCB shows years ago, I and, and wait, was really and was like, <laughs> and he it was, DM'd you saying this is no, David Crumholtz. He came up to me backstage. It was, it was. He came to the best sketch I ever did. It was like if there was ever a night where Crumholtz was going to see me. Now, did he ride an elf jetpack in? He did. <laughs> okay, good. And he had like the little elf ninjas with him. Yeah, good. Uh, and then he did George Lucas uh, a couple months ago. So I, I've only met oh, he him did it recently. twice. Sure. But both times I've had very nice conversations. Sort of a him. crumb sandwich. A little bit of a crumb sandwich, he, a crumb cake. He was one of my earliest childhood crushes. Yeah. Well, I th- uh, yeah. Former. I mean, there have been so many pieces written about the the fucking what's it? Uh, uh, why, why am I forgetting his character's name in Santa Claus? I don't know. It's, it's not Bernard. 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 But it wasn't even the Bernard. It was him yeah, and Adam's family values. Adam's family values. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. He was such a cutie. Yeah. Yeah, just that's a guy where you're just like his he has been doing good work at every age. Yeah. And he evolves and he changes. Yeah. But like he's always good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who else? Oh, Alex Wolf. Briefly. Alex Wolf? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, these are guys who serve face. Yes. Just I just need one second of their face right. to retain Wolf's here. Yeah. Dehan's here. Uh Ali Haskavi is the one who you were doing the impression of at the beginning of the episode, who's a very good actor, New York yeah. theater actor, who's been doing more film and television recently. Um, Olivia Thurlby, you'll love to see her. Plays the guy who basically quits in protest. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yes. Fuck this shit after right. a while. Yes. Yeah. And Damon's like, maybe we'll have him killed. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I always get his name wrong, but Josh Zuckerman, I think, is the one who's the first pupil in the class. Yes. Uh, uh, Kyle XY character, apparently. He what was a, a Kyle uh, XY character? Apparently. I think he's he's young Dr. Evil and Goldmember. That's who uh, he will forever uh, be to me. You're right. Yes. Uh, Christopher Denham as Klaus Fuchs, the yeah. Soviet spy. Yes. And I think, am I wrong? Does he play the same guy on Manhattan? The like Manhattan is show? all like fictionalized. Yes, he doesn't play fake the same people, character. But he plays but he a similar type of guy, I yeah. think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on Manhattan, characters like Oppenheimer are sort of like background characters who occasionally right. come in, but most of the main characters are sort of inspired by gotcha. type. Gotcha, gotcha. And Manhattan is mostly about how everyone was fucking each other. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of the idea of like this city of scientists yeah. is the idea of Manhattan, which is really cool. easy to sell a TV show well, by yeah, just when saying... when WGN America was buying them, but yeah, go on. But, but no, but also just to go like, you, we all know this thing, right? What if everyone was fucking during that? Right, 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 right. And right. basic cable would just like throw money at you. Pay cable would throw even more as long as you had nudity waivers. Go on. Uh, I'm trying to think if there are other big No, that's basically scenes. everyone. I mean, oh, look, yeah, big scenes. We could talk about this movie for... We could. Yeah. 87 And episodes. I want to see it again. Yeah. In IMAX, I want to know. So, yeah. I mean, I heard some complaints, classic Nolan complaints of, in IMAX especially, somewhat hard to hear the dialogue because it's such right. a cacophony so we, of we saw, sound and score. We saw a 70 millimeter screening together when there was an IMAX screening happening above at the same time. Right. And when we talked to people who were in the IMAX screening, they were like, some of the dialogue I couldn't make out. Sure. And that's obviously... And it, there's so much dialogue at the start. constant stars, Nolan hit. And a lot of that is he doesn't want to do ADR. He wants to use production audio when you're filming with IMAX cameras. Right. It involves some trickery to remove that sound from the equation. What have you. But we did not have that complaint walking out of the 70 millimeter screening. Going into IMAX, I was curious to see if we had it. I don't know if it's because I had already heard the dialogue one time, mm. but I did not find it uh, as sort of uh, disorienting a mix right. as maybe some of his past films. No. I thought it was incredible in IMAX. Yeah. Like, well, you just yeah. like any time they cut to the true IMAX shots, we're just like. Which is quite often. I was going to say, isn't it sort of most of. Yeah, the majority of the movie shots. Yeah. And. Um, you just see his big ass face in like the greatest resolution imaginable, <laughs> yeah. but with like this real kind of like texture and warmth. I mean, this is they had to develop black and white IMAX film because it was a thing that no one had ever asked for before. Right. Yep. Uh, and they have to like start the damn thing on time because it's so fucking long that they like don't can't even load previews onto the reel. Well, for us, what whatever. they did was they played twenty minutes of trailers on the IMAX laser projector yes. and then they clearly switch yeah. projectors right. and there's the great moment where you hear suddenly it's like the trailers end nicole yeah. kidman lights out yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you hear like yeah yeah, yeah. and then boy. suddenly yeah i mean it's wild shit uh that he was filming like these dialogue scenes with a fucking imax That's camera like nolan you know I, crazy. I think it's coming out from like benevolent ends but like he's every decision he's making in his career carries weight in that kind of way of like 
if I want to shoot this in black and white, new technology has to be developed. You and, know? And IMAX is like, okay. How many movies started shooting in IMAX after him? Right. Um, so, box office? Well, or is there anything I, else we want to Can discuss? we do a quick uh, ranking? Maybe not of all. Where, where where does this rank in the Nolan oeuvre? That's a really tough question. I have it second. I had it. I've I, only seen the movie once. I'm gonna wrestle with it. I, you yeah. know, it's a fluid thing for me always. But I have it above everything but Interstellar, which is my. I had it at favorite. third yeah. under the Prestige and Prestige, Dunkirk. I have third. Prestige is my number one. But Dunkirk, I think I I'm gonna four. put Oppenheimer. Now that I've seen it twice, I'm gonna put that at number one. I think it's his wow. best movie. God bless you. I do think it's a monumental achievement for Mr. Nolan. Okay, let me look over to Christopher Nolan, my letterbox private list of Christopher Nolan films. I'm seeing here that you've been banned by Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. I've actually been promoted. <laughs> I'm not a CEO. <laughs> uh-huh. um, huh. My ranking, but I think this was my ranking at the time of when we did sure, the, the miniseries. the list you gave on this show or was whatever. was Prestige, Inception, Memento, Batman Begins, Insomnia, Interstellar, Dark Knight, Tenet, Dunkirk, Dark Knight Rises, following Oppenheimer. Well, Oppenheimer last? Well, no, I'm saying Oppenheimer oh, okay. just added. Right. Sorry, okay. following would have been last. Uh, but that I feel like I'd rethink this whole thing hey man, now. It's always moving around, you know. I I feel like Oppenheimer and Inter- Interstellar would be my two and three now, and I'm not quite sure where I would land both of them. But I've seen Interstellar several more times since we've done that episode. Best movie. It's a really fucking good movie. Sure is. Ben, yeah. where do you put Oppie? What's your Oppie? Oppie thought. Final Oppie thought. Scientists were cool at one point. Well, uh, my final thought is I deeply enjoyed the movie. There's so much in there. It's like there's the world of Adams, and then there's just like you pull out from there. And I feel like the JFK mention. Yeah. The just (laughs) very Nolan little moment. Yeah. The the fact that he wrote a paper about black holes, and Mm -hmm. I was like reading about Mm -hmm. that. Like, I just, I found myself. There's so it's such an expansive movie. It's, There's so much in there that you could like write a whole. You well, could take a whole right. fucking yeah. class. Any, any criticism history, of this yeah. movie being myopic, it's like that's a specific story he wants to tell. There are many tellings of this time, which is so expansive that there is no way to do create a work that is all encompassing of everything. Right. Yeah. But I also think he is so fascinated in like, what does it feel like to be inside that moment? You know. Mm-hmm. That singular moment, like your whole life sort of, someone had the, I, I think it was a letterboxed review joke of like, hold on, Oppenheimer needs to think about his entire life before he sets off the bomb, like making the walk hard joke, mm-hmm. right? But it is that. It's like a, an entire life leading up to this one moment that defines humanity and then the wind down from that. Right. And like, how do you handle a moment like that? You, you don't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to read the book though. You should. Uh, the book's great. Great read. Yeah. I have the audio. Um, but... I'm currently deep in my newest doorstop, which is the new Pulitzer Prize winning auto uh, biography of J. Edgar Hoover. Mm. I'm gonna read it and then finally watch the Clint Eastwood movie. Joking. I already watched the Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, I was about to say what. Yeah, it's <laughs> <not> um, <good>. <laughs> but uh, you know, I love post-war and you know that period yeah. of American history. It's so interesting. Yeah. And complicated and dark. Yeah, I just want to also mention growing up in high school, I had a poster of the atomic bomb. Ah. Ben did tell us this before. Yeah. Um, I'm, I still haven't dug it up, but I'm going to find a photo just of a me smoking cloud. weed in front of it. Wow. 
Who would dare? Yeah. This film opened at you number... You ever think about it, though? It's like crazy that This it. film opened <laughs> at number two at the box office, Griffin. Are you uh-huh. aware? I'm aware. Uh, to a healthy $82 million. I would say an astonishing number. Uh, yeah. d- d- both it and Barbie doubled their tracking, but Barbie's yeah. tracking always seemed like, like Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers was, was kind of it. like trying to downplay the hype. Right. Oppenheimer tracking at 40, I was like, that's a pretty healthy number for a three-hour And I think everyone biopic. said, like, yeah. if that gets to 50, you'll be seen as a slam dunk, right. and 80 is almost, like, incomprehensible. And much like Barbie, it is now just, like, eating every day, like, you know, yes. Monday to, you know, like, its box office success is massive. It's yes. the biggest opening of Nolan's career that's not a Batman movie. Yeah. Why? Um, it's the biggest biographical f- opening ever, except for American Sniper. Not the passion of the Christ, <sighs> the Hollywood reporter. <laughs> Uh-huh. That is that not a insane. biographical movie. Jesus did not invent chairs, for example, <laughs> and, which is something he or tables. Or something me, s- I, so I had a tweet about this where I kind of dunked on the Hollywood Reporter, yes. and I was like, "Can we call that a biographical film?" And people were like, "Oh, Jesus actually existed as a historical figure," and I'm of like, "Of course he did." Excuse me, as That's someone not who was that on Blanchett's Benedetta episode, yeah. I'm very familiar with Paul Verhoeven's work on the historical Jesus. Right? Do they call it Xed now? Did I, I X? Okay, so I number one know. was uh, Griffin. What was number one at the box office? Number one at the box office was uh, the Barbie movie, yes. also just titled Barbie. Barbie, which made yes. one hundred and sixty-two million dollars in three days, yeah, and is now making twenty-five million dollars every right. weekday. I have friends going to screenings. You know, film my my colleagues, my film critic yeah. friends. Like Allison was just texting me. She's like, "I'm at AMC Lincoln Square. Everyone here is a woman in pink." Yes. yes. Like this is like this is this rare thing where it's like yes. this is a phenomenon. Yeah, but the, but the thing that is and totally... then there's one guy in a trench coat with a wide brimmed hat. <laughs> the thing he that looks is lost in unprecedented thought. and unreplicatable is that like everyone bought into the collective spirit of this thing. Yes. Yes. And the Barbie people were like, "We should see Oppenheimer." Yeah, and yeah. The Oppenheimer and like, people I'll see Oppenheimer. Like, door, door, we Oppenheimer. should see Barbie. Yeah, I'll go right. see Barbie. Everyone yeah, was yeah, just yeah. like Chicken hands. Yeah. Damon had this interview where he was like, "The thing that excites me about this movie is like this used to exist. Big studios with big stars." making important movies about difficult subjects, and we would go, I need to go see that. Right. Even if that's not necessarily my genre, quote-unquote, there is, like, some sense of this is important, I should contend with this, right? right? And you're like, Oppenheimer has now basically outgrossed most Best Picture winners in one weekend of the last 15 years. Totally, totally. I mean, it's probably going to win Best Picture. Right, and you just feel people who, like, don't... Right? Usually, I mean, I, I, well, I don't know. It's the front runner. It's yeah. the front runner. People who don't usually see this type of movie felt like, well, no, I think this is like culturally important to go see this. I need to contend with yeah, this thing. Sure. And they felt the same way about Barbie, and that's really fucking exciting. It's I, great. I brought my mom and dad to see Barbie. Everyone wore pink. Yep. It was really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My wife went to see it today. Did she uh, wear pink? Don't know that she wears a lot of I pink in her life. I've ever seen your wife wear Neither pink. have I. And of course, but I know your wife better than you Of course you, you do. do. We um, went to high school together. Yes, that's true. Oppenheimer uh, opening to $82 million. Number three at the mm. box office, Sound of Freedom. Moving Let's on. Let's not talk about that. Uh, uh, number four one. at the box office, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh-huh. Um, making 120 mil over the last two weeks. 
undeniably disappointing. Look, the Sound um, of Freedom thing they could not have seen coming. And I do think that has... The served, entity put it there. I think that has weirdly <laughs> become direct competition oh, to right, Mission right. Impossible more Little than bit. any other movie. Yeah. I think it is the one being but hit the hardest by it. We agree. They fucked up putting they this movie up. a week before Oppenheimer. Yes. Like, literally, you have actually built a brand of Tom Cruise equals large format. Yes. Why are you going to put this movie that, but you behind the one movie that's definitely going to be on IMAX It's screens? the one guy he can't beat. The one guy a, he can't beat is right. Nolan. Oh, right. Nolan's middle initial is I. Yes. For IMAX. Yes. <sighs> yes. And then, right. And the movie's then, still, the thing about it is it's like, the movie's still doing fine. Sure. It's doing well internationally. Yeah. And the eighth movie is being made. So yeah. I don't have a lot of sweat over Mission Impossible underperforming. Yeah. But I, you know, still, it's a good movie. Can I? Can Tom I, Cruise would ever work with Nolan? He, he should. should. He should. He fucking should be he begging should. to work with Nolan. He should. Like that's the next move should be the yes. two of them being like, let's come up with the thing. Um, I I want to put this on Mike, okay? Because our our Mission Impossible episode came out a week ago, but we recorded several weeks ago, sure. and and the world has changed. It sure has since then. Um, the the scuttlebutt when they announced that they were going to do a, a two part Mission Impossible sequel, right? Was like Tom Cruise you knocking on the doorstep of sixty. Yes, they maybe want to get as much sh- in the can as they can. Yes, as quickly as possible. Yes, and of course, what they thought would be a two-year production has basically become a five-year production. Endless production. Yes, right. But also, what happens in between that time? A thing I did not say on Mike is that Top Gun becomes so big that suddenly Tom Cruise is hotter than ever. Yeah. And I wonder if he goes, fuck it, I'm not leaving. I'm going to keep making these forever because recently in the press he was saying. I'm not ending. No one. I never said the next one was the last right. one. Now, I want to do them episode, You wonder, is this a smokescreen to, to make, create some actual make, narrative tension? If the last one's the last one, make it hit harder or whatever. Right. But maybe not. Maybe you're right. Maybe he's like, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm invincible. What I have thought in the week since we recorded that episode is he went into it thinking that I guess it's time to get out all the getting's good and then went like, maybe I don't need to leave. Maybe I'm better than I've ever been. And I do wonder if the slightly softer box office performance of this film Mm. going into the next one, which is not finished, which is only half shot and currently on hiatus because of the strike. I do wonder if they go back to it and go, maybe it's time to like put a bow on this. For a franchise that had been growing for several installments, I'll in a say row, this, Griffin. It's just I just want to throw it out on Mike. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. We'll see what happens. Well, I don't know. Can we talk about the strike quickly? Yes, sure. I do think it's important to talk about on Mike. We've been banking episodes up like crazy. Even yeah. Mission Impossible. Griffin's off to Bonnie Scotland. Going to Edinburgh uh, to do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with the Baron and the Junk Dealer and George Lucas Talk Show, a play that Connor Ratliff has written in the world of the George Lucas Talk Show, our comedy show we do together, and also doing a couple of performances of the actual things. So we've been banking up episodes like crazy. We are already basically half done on the miniseries that comes out after Park, which we haven't even announced yet. Who knows? The Park episodes were done a while ago, and uh, uh, even, yeah, as I said, Mission Impossible we did uh, like three weeks ago at this point. Yeah. Uh, so um, none of the other episodes you you will hear for a while now will really uh, address uh, the strike as it's True. going on. And there's just been, understandably, a lot of questioning about, like, does that affect the podcast at all? And that is because uh, it has been a very long time since SAG went on strike. The last time was 1980. Maybe and the sixty was the big strike. Did they have a brief one in eighty? There's the one yeah. where where Powers Booth. I think yeah, that's yeah, at the yeah. beginning of I'll Do Anything. Yeah, yeah, the James L. Brooks yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. I think it's right. 1980. So it's been about 43 years. Uh, to say the industry has changed a lot in the last 43 years is an understatement. Right. They had less podcasts back then. A couple fewer. Um, and they did have the Flop House though. Yeah. They did. No, the Flop House. The Flop House and Film Spotting were the two. Yeah, right. 
but they were the cinecast at that point. Um, but uh, even the writer's strike, uh, the last time uh, WGA went on strike was uh, 2007 to 2008. And things have changed so radically in that time that I think a lot of the hand-wringing that people are seeing out in the, the, the public sphere about what is okay to do or what is not sure. is unclear because everything has changed so radically since the last time any of these major yeah, unions went on strike. Yeah, some of it is happening on the fly, sort of figuring out this stuff. Yeah. By the way, that's a lot of why we are striking, is because sure, a lot of absolutely. these lines have gotten blurred in terms of what is work and what isn't, what do we deserve to be paid for, and what do we not, and what is promotion, what isn't, you know? We've gotten to this weird space where companies basically expect, the biggest media companies in the world expect all of the people who work on their projects to do free advertising for the project in their own platforms that they've spent decades creating to ostensibly give value to the projects it's all fucked everything's fucked and it's bad mm. all this to say people are understandably confused concerned you know whatever about uh, my status as a, someone who is a member of sag aftra and hosts a podcast that is about movies right these things are being defined and redefined over and over again there was an faq that came out yesterday we stay up with these things and yep. and read them but this is primarily a comedy show of film criticism. I, what we do here is not, even if we are on an episode like today, doing an Oppenheimer episode, promoting movies, you know? Criticism is not promotion. It, exactly. And if those lines are blurred, that Obviously is perhaps— I'm not exact, but— Right, still, but, but there, there does need to be a distinction between the two things, and right. I, I do think— it, Now, we were paid by Universal to do this episode. Wildly, right. Wildly. We're going to retire Handsome. with the money we made on this episode. Right. But we hate being it. very clear that that's a joke. But that's it's a, a joke. joke. It's a joke. And that's important to remember. It's yeah. a joke. And, and we didn't write it down. We didn't write it. Pencils firmly down <laughs> on the table. I don't know if you guys know this, but we don't really write anything we say no. on this nope. show. It's a little off the cuff. This show is yes. wildly unscripted. It yes. is independent. We rarely work in conjunction with any larger entities. Yes. We rarely even book guests through publicists or specifically to Basically promote specific never. things. I can think of very few examples. What is at stake? What will change because of the strike happening? An episode you wouldn't hear is having uh, Benji and Dan on to talk about Detective Pikachu, sure. a movie they wrote the week the movie is coming out. Right. That is sure. basically the only type of episode that we wouldn't do right now, and that is the only time in the history of eight years of doing this show we have done anything like that. Right, you can imagine something like that. Right. Yeah. So, like, a plug section, a thing we often forget to even do, will not be happening, right? Uh, no, I mean, again, we recorded a lot of stuff before the strike. Maybe there are plugs there, but I don't think there's really any promotion happening I don't of, so. like, current projects even it's that I can think of. not really what this show is. I mean, we had Zaslav on that one episode. Yeah, but he was good. <laughs> so funny. He's funny. The bits. The bits. That was um but yes, we there <laughs> pencils down. There are a couple of uh, new release movies that are currently on our spreadsheet uh, for the rest of the year that are directors we've covered in the past who have films that hopefully knock on wood will not get bumped to 2024 and will come out before this year. Wouldn't happen for a couple of months. I would love to believe that these strikes are resolved Please. in a way that is yeah. fucking Wrap beneficial. Up, guys. To, I'm speaking to the studios. To the workers yes. Yes. who make the product, that they are no longer right. treated Ad like fucking admit garbage. Admit your failure. Yes. Like, admit like that you have played this wrong from the beginning. Look, there, there are a couple CEOs who need to uh, get down on their knees and take a big L. Gotta take an L. That's the moment. Some L's need to be taken, and they do not need to be taken from the artists who and make it, these products. Executives love taking L's. It's one of their favorite things to do. Yeah, so just go to the fucking public square, stand up tall, 
adjust your tie and take the biggest fucking L you've ever taken in your life. I'd love to see that. Yes. I'm excited to see that. Um, but yes, for the time being, we've read over everything. There is nothing about, uh, what, uh, SAG is uh, defining, uh, in terms of what they are encouraging their members to not do during the strike that conflicts with this show. And if there's stuff in there in the language that makes you feel like, well, that sounds like they're describing blank check. A lot of that is because the language of all this stuff is weird and messy. And there is so much stuff like podcasts that are explicitly promoting a TV show that an actor is on and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you we're don't fiercely have to independent, worry. baby. Yes. Not even yes. part of a studio. No, no. We're part of Blank Check Productions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is a registered S Corp. Which is why. <laughs> but our name's a little too long, so it doesn't fit on the documents, <laughs> and it says Blank Check Productio. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> the N and the S are cut off. Productio. <laughs> Uh, number five at the box office. It's uh, the fifth film in a long-running franchise. Slightly Insidious underperforming. The no, or that's the lost six. key, the red key. What's that's called? Six. The red that's door. That's six. It's the red door. That's six, though. Okay. Indiana Jones. No. Indiana Jones and the Dallas. Is, oh, so. yeah. Mm. Um, which you know, honestly, has made uh three hundred and fifty-ish million dollars worldwide. It's not good. No. Um, but it's not nothing. No. Insidious the Red Door has made one sixty worldwide. Insidious Red Door is fucking clowning on everyone else. Yeah. Elemental's holding really well. It's actually going to sort of end up being an okay hit for Pixar. Yeah, I mean, if it had done that number to begin with, it still would have ended up in the bottom three Pixar movies. But, but it it's not like a, so it's not an embarrassment. No. Right, right, it right. will end up ahead of Lightyear and ahead of Good Dinosaur. Across what, the Spider-Verse, obviously a giant hit. Yeah. What else are people going to take their kids to right now? Nothing. That's why it's holding. Yeah. I mean, I know um, there was a lot of, you know, hand-wringing over if Barbie well, was appropriate really for children. Well, there's really Gilman Teenage Kraken. Which oh I think is good. Is good. Uh, Rise of the Beasts has made $420 million It's worldwide. also kind of just hanging in there because little boys need something to see. And No Hard Feelings has quietly yeah. crept to 50 to domestic. A movie that has really grown on me. Marie, wanna, we I'm saw a, that together. I don't know how did. you feel. I'm a wreck. The more I think about it, the more I like it. Yeah, it's and a good I'm sitting movie. here, The Flash has made $1 billion. Uh, take the billion. The CEU continues. that to a million. Um, no, Ninja Turtles comes out in August, and that yep. will have its room until uh, the oh, the for- mighty movie enters and just <laughs> licks up don't the box. Don't forget. Office. Chomp, 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 chomp. Who's chomping? The Meg. Oh, oh, she's yeah, coming yeah, out man. of the trench. Just talking with kids' movies. Oh, that's true. Right. But it's a thing that's been talked about. They're, they're, the kids' movies are too spraced out, and they, yeah, they they're well, generally overperforming outside we're of Ruby see Gilman, lots of who kids got done dirty. Two years from now, yes. like yeah. it's always a reaction to two years. Of ago. course, yeah. Sing Two was still at the theater when I went. Hey man, they they at do Regal. that sort of thing. They will like do. No, like, it wasn't. Are you joking? No, I'm. I'm pretty sure they will do this thing for like weekend matinees where they like bring back a classic, like Sing Two. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like, Regal and AMC will be like, Sunday matinees of a classic from the vault. It was so weird. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, it's playing at the uh, Look Dine in Cinemas on 57th Street. I've seen Sing 2 showing up a lot lately. It must have cheap licensing. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, a movie I saw and could not wrap my head around. Wow. Unlike Ruby Gilman, which made perfect I'll, sense. I'll check it out. I'm excited to watch in Ruby like Gilman. In like five years from now. Yeah. I think your daughter would love Ruby Gilman. In a couple of years. Right now, my daughter loves one movie. Yeah. Moana. Ponyo. Pa- oh. I watch it every day. And do you... No joke every and day. And that is why I'm specifically saying I think your daughter might like Ruby Gilman. Because water? We're, we're, we're like, Fish people? It's got a similar we're, vibe. We're going to have to build up to introducing... We're still at the stage where it's like a second movie will be an interesting concept sure. to her. She's kind of like, I got Ponyo, though. 
Like, well, I want Ponyo. Didn't she go through a huge Moana phase? She's watched a lot of Moana songs. She's watching oh, clips. But Moana the movie w- is a little intense. You know, it's uh-huh. got Tafiti. Yeah. Tafiti's kind of scary. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's got more shiny. talking. Ponyo is just so the perfect for a toddler. Sure. Because it's just like, it's just about a little toddler. Yeah. Like making a mess and causing chaos. Like it's very, very simple. And well, it's about Ruby Gilman's about a nice kid who happens to be a Tina Tracken. All right. Well, I have to go home. Rubber hose animation. Their limbs are going like this. Um, it's fun. It's goofy. We've been recording for three hours. Uh huh. Right, Benny? It's about how long the movie Oppenheimer is. Yeah, we finally is. crested Oppenheimer hours. length. And um. so uh, we do, uh, yes, just, you know, to underline, of course, have massive solidarity with the people on strike Absolutely. who deserve everything they're asking for and more. Yeah, truly. And the studios more, are more. craven pigs who yeah. should bow to their every demand and apologize for ever putting them through anything else. Yeah, it sucks. Look, uh, they're... I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's just what should happen. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll say this on mic. Uh, there is a joke I have with fellow uh, podcasters who started out uh, in yes, uh, film and television. Yes, you've mentioned this yeah. joke. Yeah. Uh, thank God we got into the very stable industry of podcasting support our hobby of working in film and television, but that is increasingly what it feels like. Very grateful to all of you for uh, listening to the show and supporting it because it is wild how unsustainable it has become to pursue any career in film and television. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then these companies, uh, there's never been more of a demand for the things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And also, yeah. Come on, Hollywood. Like I wrote about this. Do not watch this happen. No. This phenomenon. No. Of that's making people excited to be in movie theaters again and go like, should we just like punt everything off the schedule? People voting with their dollars and like treating specific movies as special rather than just sludge coming down a pipeline. Right. Make things feel special again in a way that actually compensates the people who work on them. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week with I'm a Cyborg with That's Okay. Karen, with Karen Chi, Chi. The great Karen Chi. lovely episode. First time guest. That's a very goofy episode. She's so great. For a deeply weird film. Uh, but yeah, back into Park Chan-wook uh, for I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. The namesake of our miniseries. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Marie Barty and film director Barbie for You're being You're welcome. Here. That was film director Barbie. That wasn't me. Wow. You're welcome. Was that you or film director Barbie? <laughs> that, was, that was me. Okay. <laughs> Slightly similar voices. <laughs> what's, what's going on here? Uh, thank you to J.J. Birch for enjoying his vacation this week. It seemed like he went to Pitchfork Fest. Yeah. He texted me. Him about, and Nick were hanging out. They're being cuties. He texted me some guy at Pitchfork Fest saying about Lightning McQueen. He was really excited. <laughs> so that was the first indie rock song to invoke Lightning McQueen by name. Ka-chow. Uh Thank you to AJ McKee and Alex Barron for our editing. Leigh Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song. Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. We haven't gotten it yet, but we assume David will be wearing the Oppenheimer hat. It just feels like that's probably where this goes. Yeah. Put, put the hat on me. Hey, put Bing Rames' hat on me for Mission Impossible. <laughs> yeah. Keep putting hats on that head. They're, they're kind of diametrically opposed in that Ving, it's always at an angle and Oppenheimer's <sighs> straight. straight. Yes. Uh, you can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon Blank Check special features where we're currently going through the Oceans movies. But also, uh, every 10 days, we unlock an episode from three years ago, and there are a couple that have linked up very directly to things we're talking about here. So the Mission Impossible series is about to start being unlocked. 
And the way of the gun episode, the one sort of missing Macquarie episode. We don't sound depressed on that episode. No, I have a lot of optimism for Uh, the future. Definitely not recorded in summer 2020. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, tune in next week. Uh, We'll we'll go back to the park. And as always, Christopher Nolan thinks that Oppenheimer is a hero and the bomb was good. That Uh, is how to read this movie. Everyone should watch Threads. We didn't even talk about Threads. <laughs> <laughs>